And welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me in the studio today, we have well, it's a it's a record a record attendance on the pod. <laughs> we have is this more is this more than the Washingtonian White? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have doubled the Dillian White numbers. I, 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 on this particular uh, occasion, what I want us to do is actually introduce ourselves rather than singing songs, no, <laughs> or whatever, no, 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 because no, that, no, may, no. that may not check my contract, Dick. <laughs> I was actually just about to use my name just for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with me today... <laughs> A wall of silence. <laughs> okay, Terry Chapandama, we have Martin Theobald, and we have special guests with us today from City Warriors, uh, White Collar Boxing. Gary Stasek. And... Carl Chapman. Thank you very much, gents, for coming along today. We'll be talking all things white collar boxing and all things to do with city warriors is it is it what is it called city warriors city Just, warriors boxing right smashing yeah. okay and you're based in the what part of london east, east london five minutes from liverpool street station right next door gate east station right i guess but before we go on to the white collar boxing element of it let's talk about the uh professional boxing i mean we're talking about dillian white so <laughs> I'm a bit confused. 260 pounds he weighed in at for that. 260. <laughs> it's like Ian Lewis and levels of weight. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to say, though, just on that, as you guys, I'm not sure if any of you saw it, in the commentary, they talked about what good shape Dillian was looking in. Really? I mean, round is a shape. Wow. Yeah, I mean... That just shows what he's what shape he's turned up before, I suppose. I feel for him out of it though. Like he's been sold this dream by Eddie Hearn, presumably, of going over and fighting on an undercard of a, a unification fight. And then they roll out whatever it was, Michael Tan or Yep. Uh guy who had like nine years out of boxing. Nine years. Do we know what he was doing in those nine years? No idea. Training like kickboxer, like a montage. Maybe, for he's, nine years. maybe he's working for Matchroom. <laughs> eating uh, McDonald's yeah maybe that's possible <laughs> eating his way to heavyweight yeah. <laughs> um, so now you've got a feel for Dillian really like why would you turn up in shape I, I do think that element that is easy to jump on is, is it especially exacerbated just because we have anti-Joshua in the sport yeah. Do you not know think like not heavyweights don't look like him. He looks like a Mister Olympia or something like that. That's not necessarily normal. I mean, it's ironic that one of them's been done for drugs and the other one hasn't. <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm not no, saying no, 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 that no, no. one of them should. I, th- I think they've both been done for drugs. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. Oh, wait, I don't know. One of them was arrested for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, what happened to the Dillian White? Don't give a shit. It's right, terrible. You, don't, you don't care. Uh, <laughs> but he won, won, didn't he? He won, yeah. but, but who are you going to call out now? You you fought you fought the guy that does the door in Floyd Mayweather the strip club. So who do you fight now? You can't <laughs> really reach call, the pinnacle. Yeah, of the yeah. Sport. You can't really call. You, know, you, you, you two weeks ago you were talking about Deontay Wilder doesn't really want it. 
you know, I'm the biggest fight Deontay Wilder could have. And I was like, well, you know. From earlier on, Eddie Hearn actually did put it to a social media vote. Um, and there was a group of four boxers, including Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora. Is it Jamal Miller? Yeah. Is this who should white fight next? Yeah. And I can't remember who it is. Fourth was, but. Oh, it's such an odd one. <sighs> like, how can you call out Deontay Wilder on the back of that? I don't know. If 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 White was a world champion somehow, I'd feel really like essentially I'd be waiting. Who's going to take it off him? Like that's what I'd be waiting. That's Place the question holder. I'd be asking. Yeah, who's going? Just standing there waiting to be challenged by someone to have it taken it off him. Yeah. Um, okay. So Dillian White at four. We're not really bothered. Um, Crawford versus Indongo. Wow. Wow. I think you remember last week we were talking about this could actually be an interesting fight. And as it turned out, it really wasn't. Um, I think... What, I, I, I think... I, th- I think... Did you spat all over the lamps? <laughs> no, I think, I, think, I, think the, I think the sentence I used yesterday was, we know Crawford's there to be hit, but we will find out immediately what this fight's about as soon as he hits Ndonga. And as soon as he hit him in that first round, you thought, this, this is not going five rounds. I don't know what it was about Ndongo. It genuinely looked like he had zero punch tolerance because he got clipped with a shot. It was a counter shot and he seemed to go to pieces. And then after that, you were just thinking, shit, Crawford knows he's got this guy. But if you look through Ndongo's record, he's never really fought punches, has he? You know, it's um, uh, Ricky Burns, Tryovsky. There's not been anyone that, you know, he's taken these belts, but he's taken them in fairly favourable circumstances. Agreed. You know, uh, he's coming as, as you know, he was that guy you could oversell. So you go, oh, Ndongo, he's this dangerous, awkward puncher. How is that Hearn sold him, you know, for the Burns fight? And what you found was, and I, I, probably just to simplify the fight, you had a guy in Ndongo who just couldn't shorten his work. And you had a guy in Crawford who's clearly boxed at an elite level for years and years. And all Crawford did was just shorten his work and go, let me find the, the, the smallest distance from A to B. And I am confident this guy's just going to overextend himself, and I'll catch him. And every he time he did overextend himself, didn't he? he? Was every time like strangely overreaching? Looked like a white collar fighter. Like, <laughs> like I was saying to Gary earlier, it looks like he's punching, like he's fl- throwing clotheslines rather than hooks. They were very straight, long distance cuffing blows rather than yeah, you know. So yeah, so what Crawford realised pretty quickly was the easiest way to deal with Ndong was actually to step inside and let the punches go past you. Because what Burns tried to do is step back and he kept getting caught because he was just walking back into Ndongo's punching range. Whereas Crawford was like, nope, I'm going to come right here. And that shot he did him with. (laughs) Wow. It was one of those ones where the referee sat over the top of Ndongo. He's rolling around on the floor in pain, a body shot. And the rest still stood over him going like, seven, eight. You're like, oh, mate, just call this off. Call the ambulance. He's not getting up from that. There's clearly no way. And the rest taking like this sadistic approach of like, nine. Like, it's not happening. Just just imagine a boxer being knocked out clean, cold, and there's blood coming out of his ears. And the ref's like... Eight. No, no, but, but, Dogs but, are trying to get in the ring. He's like, "Oi, this isn't finished yet." The body Nine. No, but it's, it's the worst kind of stoppage for two reasons. One is the fucking liver, and that hurts. Number two, it's a power shot because he hit him with a left. Was no, no, it wasn't. Was it? it was the right hand he threw him with? It was a counter right hand where he's come back and he's just thrown the counter right hand to the liver. 
which is, I think Crawford's a right-handed southpaw, right? So that was a power hand on the liver. I can't imagine anything worse. So I think that's got to be the worst way to get stopped is literally a man's strongest hand hitting your liver. Yeah, I can't... I've never been in a boxing ring, but if I had to choose which way I was going to go out, I'd start with not getting punched in the liver. I'm probably one of the top ones. At least you get knocked out on the chin. You don't really know about it. Yeah. And then you wake up five minutes later. Whereas like, if you get punched in the liver, you're going to you be laying breathe. on the floor. Yeah, can't breathe. I told you. Probably pissed yourself by the time someone gets you back when up. I, when I was... Um, when I was... I used to watch army boxing when I was back in, in my... Back in the army days. Um... Shouts out to the army boxing team. Yes. Our new friends. I don't know what it's like now, but back then, the RSM used to stand up and go, right, if anyone gets knocked out, we go silent because then the medical professionals can talk to each other and there's no, there's no, right, fine. The audience are under strict control, right? So in that situation, so it's fine. It's not like a normal crowd of people. Um, <laughs> the worst thing was when a lad would get knocked out he'd be like he'd go, come on come on bang this lad goes out like a sack of shit on the floor <laughs> then everyone gets he stands up RSM everyone be quiet so he'd be quiet then all you can hear is this lad going <laughs> <laughs> and it is horrible <laughs> <laughs> Like a fish out of water. You're like, fuck's sake, please somebody say something. I'm not saying something. Oh, yeah, in the back you. is sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing you're allowed to say. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty horrible. Okay, I guess we move on then um, to the white collar boxing aspect of this show. The yeah. star of the show, so to speak. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Been called a lot of things, never that. <laughs> there you go. First time for everything. So, as we previously mentioned, you guys, City Warriors Boxing, and just give us um, a lowdown before we start probing. If I was to ask you what you guys, what service you guys provide or how to sort of um, talk about in a brief sort of um, explanation of what your business is or what the what City Warriors Boxing is. Basically, what City Warriors Boxing does, it provides a friendly environment where you can come and learn to box for professional people like lawyers, bankers, brokers, whatever in the city to come and train box you haven't got to do any sparring we've got allocated classes for that uh, so if you just want to use it for fitness or learn to box you've got that option as well but if you want to take it that step further you've also got that option as well okay and so what are your two roles in it I'm I'm the founder of City Warriors That's Boxing Gary yeah Gary yeah. <laughs> sorry and uh, yeah and I've, I run most of the classes I've got some other coaches that cover but I run most of the classes and yourself Carl so I'm basically just a fighter but um sort of to try and help with the marketing a bit. I've sort of branched out to help Gary out with the website and bits oh, and okay. pieces as well. And so how many shows have you put on to date? Oh, well, I've been doing it probably 15 years. Wow, okay. So I was sometimes we've done four a year, two a year. All depends on the demand of it. But yeah, probably best part of 30, 40 shows, I would have said. Okay. Um so is that constant that you then got like people signing up through the year and yeah, you I mean, yeah, hold them until you... Yeah, well, basically, the way we work it is totally different to how other federations work it. I mean, everyone's got their business model where they do things. I don't put, I don't say, this is when we're doing a show, we got eight weeks to train. When we've got enough people that I'm confident we can fill a show, I'll do a show. Uh, people get ready for fights in at different speeds. Uh, so we never put a say we're starting training for this date for this show 
we'll have people train all through the year. And then if we're doing a show six months down the line, three months down the line, we'll say who wants to do this and they'll sign up for it. And to be clear on that as well, that is a choice by the participants and not something that is thrust or forced upon them. You've trained here three weeks, lads, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a gum shield, you can fight. <laughs> yeah. just, lads just getting kicked into the ring. Yeah. Now go. Yeah. Oh, but I'm, a, I'm, but I'm a lightweight. I was only coming down for a pint. Now after that, you can have one. <laughs> Okay, so then, so if I turn up to City Warriors Boxing, which I can assure you will never happen, not <laughs> no no Spartan City Warriors, but any boxing event ever, I will only turn up as a spectator. But if I turn up as a fighter and want to fight, how does it work for me? What's the process that I go through? Well, you join up to the classes. Uh, we've had nine classes a week you can choose choose from. Uh, so you've got plenty of variation in the classes. You come to here, we have a look at you. If you've boxed before, we'll have a look at you on the pads and the bags or whatever. Come down to the sparring, see where you are. And then we'll just take you from there. So what happened if someone like Terry turned up, who's actually a competent boxer? Um, oh, fucking we're... hell, not after Thursday, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assure you, whatever competency you feel you're lacking, if you saw me in a ring... <laughs> you... The only what, ring what? Andy ends up in is usually Polish. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> God. Wow. Oh, God. Sorry. You know, my mum might listen to this. And at this point, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, she won't be listening now. <laughs> she will have turned off at this point. She might have turned the volume up now. Like, Who's this Andy? <laughs> Who is Andy? She's on Tinder. Exclusively Polish? Um, God, where were we? Terry turned up, who's like boxed for well, years. And, well, this, and... is where was, this, this is what makes what we do different. Anyone could do it if we can get a match correctly. It's all about getting the matches right. If I mean, we might have someone training who's as experienced as Terry sort of thing. So then if everything works out right, weights and everything, we, we got about. But I would never put anyone in the ring just for the sake of doing it. I, I can honestly say I can go to bed after the night of a show and sleep well because I haven't gone to bed think. Fuck, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have put that fight on. How, how many fighters you have on, on an intake, on a typical intake of, uh, like, yeah? On a show, how many fights? Yeah, I guess so. On, on yeah, a... It can range anything from 8 to 15. Well, um, a few little questions. Like, what's your average dropout rate? Do you have one? So if yeah. 50 blokes turn up, <laughs> yeah. you like, right, if it's 50, generally going to be about 10 yeah. to 15 yeah. fights. I mean, normally, if, if I'm looking at 15 fights, you've got to have 50 fighters. Because All right, okay. as it goes on, people drop out and things happen. Just to cut in there, I think one of the things that sort of works really quite well with the way City Warriors runs is the amount of sparring sessions that we run. And generally building up to those fights, people have attended a lot of sparring sessions. A lot of your dropouts happen very early doors, I find, in that yeah. sense, because yeah. as soon as someone gets punched in the face, they either like it or they don't. You, you, um, I mean, you, you do sort of pick up on telltale signs, which I've learned over the years. It's like people start selling tickets or when they're sparring, they start dropping out of training. You sort of, the alarm Left my gum shield, mate. You're the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. gum shield's at home. Or, yeah. Or my hand yeah. I've only got there. one glove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still get in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> really no but I think serious. my question is this, right? Why not just become an amateur club then? Because the people that do the white collar boxing couldn't go and turn to an amateur club. A lot of them are probably too old. A lot of them will feel intimidated walking into an amateur club. See, so, and then, and then, so, so this is why I normally pipe up when when we discuss white collar is no. <laughs> I, I, I've been involved in the sport for long enough that 
and I've been I've been to clubs and I I'd imagine it's like anything, isn't it? There are degrees of it. But sure. but like we, we have guys coming into Fitzroy Lodge and I mean they're photographers and whatnot. We we throw them in the ring when when we think they're ready, we do. Mm. But it is always I mean you got you got three coaches watching the sparring. Mm. So we we regulate that. And I think what's happening now actually in terms of amateur boxing is people are realizing actually I just enjoy having a fight every two or three months. So keep training, stay on weight. When there's a fight coming up, I do that. So actually, I think the average age of an amateur is probably increasing. But in terms of the people who are on the path to going pro, I think it's probably reducing. Mm. So you're getting those two streams now. So, and the reason I say why not become an amateur club is we used to have a lad that used to train with us, worked for a bank, lovely lad. But he can now say, look, I box as an amateur. So when these guys talk about white collar, he can go, look, I box as an amateur. And yeah, the guy, the last guy I lost to went on to win this, that, and the third. So there's that thing of, I, I went in with guys who went on to do something, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're yeah, you, So yeah. there's that real, you know, you go, you go, you go, shit, you know, today I was okay, took a bit of a pasting, but the kid who slapped me about, you know what I mean? I might see him in five years on a matchroom mm. show, for example. So what, what you said there is like, it's what we try and avoid, it's how I'm getting a good pasting. Because what? <laughs> what, what, the way we do it yeah. at City Warriors, it's like, if you won't fight on any City Warriors show, if I haven't seen you spar at yeah. least four or five times, uh, even if you come from another club, you'll come down, you'll spar, and I want to see you. We try and eliminate that. I mean, turning into an amateur club is it's not something I've even thought of, to be honest with you, yeah. because there's no reason for me to do that. Because the guys who come to me, they're guys like Cole middle-aged blokes wanting to get fit, want a reason to get fit. Yeah. And there's, you know yourself, there's no better reason to get fit than get training for a fight. Because when you don't want to go and down to that gym, the... you've got a fight coming up, you drag your ass into that yeah. gym. <laughs> get fit to give yourself the best chance of avoiding getting punched in yeah. the face. It's not <laughs> it's a bad... That's, yeah. not <laughs> bad. <laughs> That's all the motivation you need. The motivation to get fit. And Terry, sorry, just to be in someone that sort of fights and is doing the white-collar stuff. To be honest, the easiest route for me into boxing training was white collar. Um, I went to a couple of local gyms um, where, I, you know, they said, are you here to do amateur? I was like, well, not really. I'm 35 years old. I think um, those days have passed me, but I want to do some boxing. And, and I generally got turned away. I was sort of, no, sorry, we train amateurs only here with, not, I'm not saying there was with any intention, but it was always, and we've got an upper age limit. So really, my chances in London as well, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a working professional, so most of the stuff I do has got to work around my lunch breaks because I've got kids, or it has to be convenient for me directly after work. And I've just found that, you know, the white collar route was the most accessible to me and the most available on the internet, if I'm being completely honest. I type in, where can I learn Minimal research. Yeah. Um, Because one of the things I'm trying to avoid is being one of those boxing bellends who becomes up his own ass about the sport. And it's easy to drift into that by going, look at how superior we are, which I don't think is right. And you're seeing a lot of it in this Mayweather-McGregor thing. And it's not showing boxing people up in a good light because, you know, they refuse to accept that MMA is something that is commercially viable and something that's actually quite serious. I think for me with white collar, I'm not going to say it shouldn't exist. I don't think that's the right thing to do because it's like, you know, I come from a rugby background. I think everyone, if you, if you want to pick up a rugby ball, there should be somewhere well, for you to play. You can argue Sunday league football as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I guess 
I think of it from that that customer experience, that customer journey thing of I would want, you know, and, you know, I guess it's that sports thing. I would want there to be that synergy in a club that says, I've got 40 guys in this gym. These 10 here are going to go and box for titles and do great things. I've got a mass of people at this other end who have no intention of doing that. But they need to be in this environment because they need to be around this history and they want to, you know, those, it's those small things like, like when we had Lennox Lewis pop in the gym and there were, there were about five or six guys who were training for their own white collar bout. And now they're like, shit, like I can actually be here you know, mucking around with Lennox, talking to him and all that. You know, it, it's those small things, but I guess they're the things and this is why I do become the arrogant cunt. <laughs> it's those small things that kind of make boxing great there's the there's the in-ring stuff but there's also just being in that environment of you know just watching it going does that matter to someone's experience though I mean like Carl's saying that he's 35 years old is his experience is 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 solely correct me if I'm wrong Carl but like the way you describe it is solely catered towards he wants to learn how to box and he wants to get fit it's not necessarily about being in a certain environment or you know boxing with any greats or anything like well, that. If you walk into an amateur club, it can be an intimidating place. I mean, years Absolutely. and years ago, I, mean, I used to I, box down at yeah. uh, Old Church and Elm Park and Five Star. Yeah. So uh, many years ago, and I can remember when new kids come in now. You like, well, fucking a, <laughs> fucking a, walking to my boxing club. Yeah. It was <coughs> when I was kicking boxing. You? It, it, no, it's that sort of thing. Can you do just by right? I'm going to show them how good we are. It, it's that sort whack, of thing. Whack, 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 whack. I won't see him again. <laughs> do you know, I, I trained at a certain <laughs> place when I was preparing for my second fight. Um, and they had, and Terry, you can probably like vouch for how this happens. A lad who was doing like unlicensed, which sits somewhere between white collar and pro, is then like another grey area of unlicensed fights. And this lad came in, and I think he was probably like quite good on the unlicensed scene. And so the professional trainer there got a professional lad to go in the ring with him and said, "Now teach him a fucking lesson." Yeah, that's and like, box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this unlicensed lad goes in there, all like, yeah, cocky. Well, and this lad, I think he'd only had maybe one pro fight by this point, but got a very good amateur grounding. They went and sparred for all of about two rounds, I think, if that. It may have only been one. And then this unlicensed lad ends up leaving big split over mm. his eye and like left the gym, which I get. But I was training at the same place, and I never went in with that cockiness. Yeah. So I never yeah, went yeah, in yeah. with that, if, like... When you come in, leave your ego at the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I never you know went I mean? in with the big it's bollocks. Like, it's like whenever I go down train at other clubs, they say, what have you done? I've done a little bit. You put me where you think I should go. Never go down, I've done this, I've done that, whatever. But it's like, what we do at City Warriors, everyone, it's like a community. It, it's not like a, it doesn't, it's got a boxing club feel, but everyone gets on, everyone helps each other. If When we're sparring, someone's better than the other one. No one takes liberties. It hasn't got that, ego that some clubs have do you get people that are like career white collar boxers so someone that you've had who's done like five six seven yeah. shows i mean you've done uh, to be fair it's only my second show yeah. it'll be my third yeah. fight no i mean if i i personally feel that as a white collar boxer you might have a bit of a shelf life that shelf life comes down to the amount of people that want to come and see you to yeah. be perfectly honest <clears throat> Um, Terry, just on that note, I remember saying you said on the podcast when this come up in the first place about taking money out of boxing because, you know, the shows that we put on might make people spend their money on watching that show rather than a small haul. Whereas I've actually personally had the opposite experience. People that come to see me fight on the first show suddenly went, 
well, we want to go see more boxing, but we want it to be better than the shit you can <laughs> <laughs> Better than your effort. <laughs> you know, just for the record, there's nothing better than being held to account for the stuff I say on this podcast. <laughs> We should have this more often. <laughs> on episode 25, Terry, you said this. <laughs> you I was said Terry... thinking, did I? Yeah. <laughs> but I think you were saying at the time, Andy, that um, you didn't think that'd be the case in that people that may have gone to see you box, say, Carl, wouldn't have spent that 30 quid or whatever on a ticket down at your call no. because they didn't know yeah. about boxing. It was just it was it, your yeah. mate. Well, who... I mean, I just applied my experience of watching you, um, Pete, uh, a friend of a couple of friends of ours that have done what club. Who, who won their fights? I can't remember. <laughs> no draws, both, didn't they? I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was the only one that won. Yeah. <laughs> I just mentioned it. But anyway, <laughs> you're going to you're gonna call out the, the white collar MMA guy. <laughs> I'm going to find one. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, um, yeah. I, I just remember from my experiences that I spent money going to watch my friends, and I, I have no intention. I've 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 never been to a small hall show. Like literally, I've only ever been to pure casual city, pure Wembley. Yeah, Oak Sweet Caroline, <laughs> Sweet Caroline, no, nosebleed seats. Yeah. Um. So I I from my experience, I knew that wasn't the case. I could see that there would be some sort of grey area that might happen, but I could see it only happening say once a year, where some bloke might go to a small hall show every other or twice a month, let's say, but this weekend his mate's in a white-collar boxing place, so he goes to that instead. But, I, you know, I, I didn't see... Because one of the things that we were talking about just as coaches was actually you're likely to see a convergence now, I think, because the amateur clubs are going, we charge 10 quid, maybe 15 quid sometimes for a show, and you get, you get about 13 bouts. About six of those are really good, and of those six, there's a couple where you'll see kids who are going to do something. So, like the days where you'd be sat there and it'd be Joe Joyce bashing them, I mean, bashing someone around, and you're like, yeah, he'll be all right if he can just, you know, get his fitness up, he'll be decent. So, but what you're also getting now is the whole thing of, and we found it when I was with Double Jab about four years ago, where we said, let's just put on a club show, like a white collar show. So, we've got the kids out selling tickets. We hired out the coronet in Elephant and Castle. Yeah, the lights the ring girls you, you basically was, so it didn't look like an amateur show no it? no it's, it's fucking it looked absolutely brilliant so I think <clears> we got what did we have we got about 700 people in was it that many no maybe about 6 we've got a shitload of people in 6 people <laughs> like was it 700 or was it 6 <laughs> just 6 no no but we shifted a lot of tickets a lot of people contributed it was a big event and we got so much crap from the rest of the amateur boxing. Really? Thing. Yeah. The first thing they wanted to know was, did you make a loss? And we're like, no, 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 we well, made Because money. you've evolved what an amateur show is. Yeah. But what's happened is the thinking's come back around now. Now these clubs are going, we need the 30 pluses, right? Because the 30 pluses are the guys who can move tickets for us. We can have mm. shows on, you know. And so there's a warming to that. And I think it's more to your model, Gary, where yeah. we're saying we're not going to do it for 12 weeks because that's disrespecting the sport. It is, yeah. Come to the gym for a year, you know, have a knockabout, yeah. get used to how things are, and then we, we'll see what we can then do. It's like, let me give you an example. We were talking about it earlier, me and Carl. Uh, got a guy come down, he's been four sessions. His mate's come, done a little bit of sparring, goes, can my mate come sparring? I went, no. He went, well, that's the best way to learn. I said, listen, he can't move his feet yet. He can't hold his hands up. He, he's not even breathing when he's punching. He's not ready for sparring. It's, everything's about the right time. Yep. It, it's, it's like building a house. 
You build the foundation first before you put the windows in and everything else and the roof. It's exactly what you do when you teach someone a box. Start from the bottom, work up. Clearly, clearly you've got a massive amount of experience in this game, but can you give us an insight into your background, how you originally got into boxing, what qualifications yeah, you have? Well, as a boxing coach, I haven't got any qualifications whatsoever, okay. but a boxer as an amateur uh, for Hornchurch and Elm Park and uh, Five Star. Used to be a professional kid boxer. Uh, I, when I left school, I worked on the cars as a panel beater. The original Conor McGregor. I own over $350 million. He's <laughs> so, coming, mate, soon, slowly. Yeah, yeah. chipping away very slowly. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and then one day I had enough of it and my kickboxing coach was working on the cars with me and he said, why don't you be a personal trainer? So I thought, you know, it's all right. It's not bad as this. So I went and done a six-month course to become a personal trainer. Because of the training I'd done, it sort of evolved from that. I was taking people on the pads and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, the, I was running boxing classes within the gym. And I had about, I had a good 12 guys who turn up regularly. I thought, you know what? These guys want to fight. So they spoke to me about it. They wanted to fight. So I put them out under a federation. And uh, I had a couple of shows. Really weren't happy with the way they were matched. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I could do this better myself. So started up City Warriors. Okay, and and you said that was what? How many how many years ago? Fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So which gyms that you train at? Is it one that you use or one that you have yourself? No, but basically I hire. It's an anytime fitness. Uh, I hired a studio there and run the classes right. from there. Okay. So where did you put the rings? There's no ring because we do the sparring on a, in a fitness first with a with a matted floor. Uh, and where do the events take place? Well, is it, is it, I suppose it's varied, has it? Yeah, I mean, I've done them at the Emirates, uh, Connaught Rooms, uh, Catherine Royale. I've done them uh, Stratford Town. All. But the next one we've got is coming up is at uh, Coronet. Okay. Done a few at the Coronet. Done a few at the Coronet. And, and when is that, if you want to you know, shine some light on the event? It's uh, October 12th. That's a Friday. Thursday. Is it Thursday? Me versus I, Terry. I so, that's event. the day I booked. <laughs> Well, my money's on Terry. <laughs> no, no, so is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a fortune. That's the only reason he's doing it. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm going down in the first round. <laughs> yeah. no, I realize, after Thursday, you just realise, you know what, there are levels to this. What happened, Terry? Who were you? Um, no, so I went up to see, well, went up to see Brian O'Shaughnessy and Umar Sadiq because obviously he's, he's in camp getting ready for yep. his debut. On the oh, Billy like, Joe Saunders undercard. Yes. Yeah. Terry's September 16th. Here. Let's give him a pasting. <laughs> <laughs> All that shit he's been saying about yeah. us on the podcast. Yeah. Gobbing <laughs> off on that new age podcast. No, no. So, so there's, a, there's a young lad. He's a friend of mine called Daniel Aziz. So he 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 had his last season as an amateur. So, so Brian's like, look, he's got one more round to do. Go, just jump in with him. And I was like, I was like, I'm really not in any shape. It's been a shit day at work. My mind's not on it. So I get in there. And we're, just like, we're larking around. He goes, no, 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 relax, relax. I threw a jab and he's just shot a right to the body. <laughs> and do you know when you get hit sometimes, you're like... Ouch. I, not even that, but I was like, <laughs> it was like... It was like, I saw where the punch started and I saw where it ended. <laughs> you can't possibly generate that much force in that short a distance. And I was like, this isn't human. Start looking around for his mate in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, you're like... And you're like, how How long? So no, I had to ship a few more of those to the body, but listen, wh- whoever's got a face, young Daniel Aziz, good luck to Has you. Has he turned over? Um, I think he's in the process of. Okay. But Jesus. A like, name to look out for. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Just other world, just otherworldly power. Man. Uh, maybe he legitimately had those margarita hand wraps. I don't know, but it was like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so that's when you realise you're like, 
fuck, there are levels to this. And this is why these guys earn the money they do because that fucking hurt. <laughs> uh, I want to dig in a bit more to City Warriors and how you're set up and uh, what sort of things you uh, take into account, you know, on, with, with yeah. how you set up and everything. Um, so when it comes to your events, what are your sort of safety and security measures that you put in place for each event? Well, as in matching fighters, you mean? No, I'm, I'm thinking more like the crowds, you know, on that that sort of situation. Is it? Do you have Do you have any security yeah, at these venues? Course, like, yeah. Okay, it's as Terry said. It's like a pro show. We got. <laughs> that doesn't say a lot if it's a Frank Warren show. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> or, or any other promoters are available. Yeah. No, but no, I mean I can speak for experience. There. <laughs> yeah. we, we had the security there. We had fighters have their. Um, Checkups before the fight. If they say it's not, they're not fit to fight. They're not fit to fight. They do whatever checks they do. So when they've got the medics, we've got the security there. Everything is. So I, I, ringside, you have like um. I mean, you'd have to hit me up with the, the actual details on this, but it's like, do you have anaesthetists? Do you have doctors? Yeah, I mean, we've like, got three medics there, ambulance there. Yeah. Okay. What's cool. the um the health and safety because I've done two and I won't say who I did them with but it's a fairly well known white collar organisation yeah put their name on their vests <clears throat> yeah that'd be the one um, <laughs> but they uh, I'm trying to think back the health and safety I had for that was like a quick blood pressure test beforehand um, shine a light in your eye and then go and glove up and that's about it but I, I don't to be honest I don't know if that's sufficient I don't know if I should have had more should have had well I don't know exactly what the medics do. That's their job. That's why we sort of pay them to do what they do. Uh, they, uh, but they do do the blood pressure, the, that other thing. But I mean, you've had it done, they? Yeah, there, there were some. There were some other things, and obviously yeah. your typical medical questionnaire. Um, they seem to know what they were doing. I mean, there's, yeah. no, See, but no that, that's the thing that yeah, worries me because, like, I know guys who have failed medicals, and like, and it's, I feel bad for them when they do. But yeah. like, I, I failed one on the eyesight thing which is why I had to stop. But I'm like, at least you've got that in place to catch yeah, well, them. Yeah. It's like, I had a guy who failed a medical and he goes, girl, I failed the medical. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, can I fight? I went, no. <laughs> he said, can I pay you? I went, no. I said, what's the point in having these guys here if I'm not going to listen to them? <laughs> yeah. I'll just say, get in the ring and whatever happens. You know, no, that's why they're there. They're there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> can- can I pay you yeah. to ignore the yeah, ignore, to ignore the, medical. the medics? Yeah, that's and a good idea. And then he gets, then he gets floored, and there's blood coming yeah. out of his eyes, and he's like, "Why uh, did you let me fight? Yeah, exactly. Because you paid me to yeah. <laughs> twice." Then yeah, how that, hard's that... the insurance to get for it? Like, do you have to then back the question. insurance up against? It's not that the... difficult. Really. It's not that difficult. What sort of insurance you have to have? Just uh, well, to fight me, insurance. A, a lot of it is covered by the venues. Uh, insurance. Oh really? Yeah, a lot of it's covered by the venues insurance. That's interesting. Um. Just well, now we're going over some. How long is the? How long are the training? Are they twelve weeks? No. Uh, so you're how, ready when you're ready. Oh, really? So yeah. it's a I constant. Put, I don't put a limit on it. Ah, okay. It's, it's like you hear some people like eight, twelve weeks. Some people aren't even ready to put a gum shoe <clears> after eight weeks. But do you get people that are pissed off and leave because no. they think they're no. they're ready? No. When the pe- I get people to come off with the other ones because they got mismatched. Come right. over to me and that's when they're pissed off. And they said, oh, we, we weren't ready. We got a good idea. Well, we've only done eight week training. You train twice a week or whatever. Yeah. So if I sign up for you, um, sign, sign up to Seat Warriors now, yep. it's feasible that, and believe me, it would be feasible, that I couldn't, I, I perhaps wouldn't fight until beginning of next year. Yeah. 
middle of next year, yeah. you'd assess me well, and no, say, what is, you're not well, good enough. If I can, no, it's not whether you're good enough, it's whether I can get you matched fairly. Right. We might have, right, I'm not okay. being funny, we could have, I could have a bloke who couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. And I You've got get, one. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, but it's about finding someone who is as incompetent. Exactly. No, no, it's exactly what it is. If you've got someone like that, you need someone else... I mean, he could train for another two years and, and not get much better. Three you years, need someone, four years. No, no <laughs> you ending. know what I'm saying? It's all about getting the matches right rather right. than giving someone this amount of time, that amount of time. That don't work. It's not realistic. And that differs to a lot of the other white-collar ones where it's like, sign up, 1st of October, you're fighting yeah, you end of November. That's I, a, that's I suppose, I suppose the, you know, mm. the, it, when I spoke to Martin originally, it was kind of one of those things that I said I'd really like to come on this podcast to discuss because I have done other white collar or been involved in other white collar organisations and they left me with no faith in what they were doing at all um, and then I sort of walked into City Warriors one day and I was this is this is the way that it should be run you know and I but is that the that. exception or the rule is my is what I'd say so if you line up all the white collar organisations would what happens at City Warriors be typical or would it be like well actually we're, we're just we're just ahead of the game uh, I would go with the latter from my personal experience. I, I would say my business model is just totally different to everyone else's out there. Which, which is good because, and I guess this, this is where I drift into Terry mode where I go, I find <laughs> I it... take a seat for five start minutes. Start swearing down the microphone. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but, but I do find it uncomfortable, bordering on disgusting when people do that whole, I'm doing it for charity thing. Yeah. Uh, look, if you want to get in the ring and have a fight to tell your mates you've had a fight, I have no issue with that. But... You know, to, to try and sweeten the deal by going for charity. Then, then I get uncomfortable. Yeah. In the same way I get uncomfortable when I'm in the, in the, in the tube and there are those people right by the barriers shaking the, the money collecting tins. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, you know what I mean? You guys are just, you're just preying on the vulnerable here. You know what I mean? It's first thing in the morning, I'm knackered and you're just, you're, you're shaking that thing and you're going to guilt me into putting money in. So those bits I feel uncomfortable about. I'm like, look, if two people want to jump in and have a fight, Cool, as long as it's safe, do it. Exactly. But I mean, cloaking it with all this is for this is for that. No, I mean, don't get, so. wrong, don't get wrong. Like we never, we do stuff for charity, but we do yeah. a charity auction. So the, the charity comes in the invite, right. yeah. And it's like this time we're we're representing the free para, uh, okay, charity. So we're doing stuff for them, but they're going to bring their own stuff to auction. They take that away with them. If they do any any chinooks or anything like that, I'm all over. <laughs> <laughs> And how does it work? Do the lads sell the tickets for the yeah. event? Have they got a minimum amount that they've got to I, sell off? Or? I don't put a minimum because some people can, some people can't. It's like, yeah. it's like I might have someone who couldn't sell a, a solar power eater to an Eskimo, <laughs> but I might be able to get a match against someone who, who fairly you can. Yeah. So I'll never say you've got to do this or you can't fight because really you probably know they'll spot your face by saying that. But if someone takes 40 tickets and bring back 38 tickets then we've got a problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean exactly that I mean one of the uh, one of the ones that I was doing um, literally I think when I showed up for the training this is the, another bo- uh, white, yeah, white collar boxing organisation yeah. I showed up for the first night of training of which there was going to be a total of eight I believe training sessions before the fight um, <laughs> that seems disgusting. sufficient <laughs> there, 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 there was there was about a hundred odd people there to train there was one wow. trainer who stood up in a ring and basically said, this is how you jab. This is how you cross. Um, now and fight! They literally wanted you to sell 20 tickets. Now, if every person in that room sold 20 tickets each, 
I don't understand how they were going to work the venue. Let alone because the venue that they were doing it at, I mean, Gary's run a show there, I thought there, isn't big enough for that amount of people. And that kind of just leaves a sour because there's there's questions there for me. The questions are, well, you've got two, they've put two rings on. Is what, if I've sold ringside seats, how do I guarantee that the ringside that my family and friends are on is actually the ring that I'm going to be fighting? They had two rings in the venue. Two rings. This is the same as the oh, one. Yeah, I've had one where I fought in, with two rings in the venue. See, the thing, this is what I don't say. It's like, as part of my job is to make that person, it might be the only, it might be just on their bucket list. I want to do a boxing match. Now, my job is to make that person feel like a world champion when they leave that ring. Not everyone's a Nigel Benner, Mike Tyson, or Ricky Atten, and Marvin Agler, but you give them that feeling. The experience. The experience. Of. Anyone now, can be an Audley Harrison, though. Yeah, I'll make a good Audley Harrison. <laughs> I'm more a Charles Martin type. <laughs> yeah, but, I'd like to get but, a belt and a sell it. Saying is, if you've got two rings in there, the attention's not on there because yeah, I, I someone else has got a ring ball. So that's where the attention, that, milk that moment. Yeah, and I, and and... And I think I certainly when Martin was on his second uh, second show was the Should two of them. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, boom. <laughs> um, yeah, I I certainly I remember I texted you, but I texted you a bit too late to sort of say because what I noticed was Pete. The, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but they were being led out by ring girls, I believe. But they were just charging them up the strip straight into the ring. There you go, and the music well, was coming on like yeah. you know. The eye of the and the bloke was there. It's like sprinting him to the ring yeah. to try and get M- through M- the M- roster. That yeah, that's your moment. Yeah, or, or, or was he was he chasing the ring girl and the ring girl was just running? The thing is, if the ring girl was saying that they haven't got that experience. You're going down with your coach. You say, take your time. Yeah, take your time. Take a deep breath. Focus yourself. It's your time. So my question, therefore, is how? So how long do your shows? So you've only got a certain amount of variables. Is what I'm trying to get at. You'll have, say, sounds like you've got a rolling pen of trainees yeah. uh, and on which you'll analyse who's right to fight and when and yeah. the matches you come up with. If you get a bumper crop over a period of time, how do you know how many matches you're going to have? And what, what dictates that for you? Like, so I'm going to have a maximum of, is it 15 matches in a night? or? Well, I always go maximum of 15 because then you can start at 7, you've done by half 10, quarter to 11, everyone right. will get the last train home. Uh, so no more than fifteen. No more and than then 15. anyone else who needs to, but you just go. Look, I like mate. You just have to get it for the next time. Yeah, get on the next. But show. how do you match him up then? Bob seeing them spar. Oh, so is it just internal? So you, yeah, you yeah. oh, you're not yeah. looking outside the organisation. No, no, not okay. at all. No, I okay. mean, if there are people coming in, they have to come to at least four sparring sessions. Okay, so fine, I can see the spar. I can. But the thing is about it? matching the, the white coat. It's different when you match an amateur fight for argument's sake. You look at the weight. But you look at their personalities as well. It's like one of my mates just had an amateur fight. As a kid, he was uh, he got to the schoolboys. He had seven fights, youngster. So now he's, he kept training all the way through. So he went and done a, a a tournament up in up north somewhere. So he was in the category from one to ten. Obviously, the coaches haven't seen this guy as well. But this guy, this my mate is far superior than one yeah. to ten fights. This kid, he, he was he was, he was like tamed to the lions. You know what I mean? And, and I always say the the most dangerous time to match someone is is their first bout and probably their sixth bout. Yeah, are the most dangerous times yeah. you can match someone because when when you got two people who've never fought before, you don't know. Exactly. Do you know what? You're exactly right. I've had that before where and it was it was scary where 
we, we had a young lad who was like, he was a no-bouter. We matched him up and they're like, yeah, yeah, our lad's good as gold. Yeah, yeah. Gets to the ring and you can see the guy had been boxing for years. Yeah. So after the battle, I grabbed the camera. Like, How long have you been doing this for? And he was like, I've been in and out, well, just pretty much in and out of gyms for eight years. And that was his first fight. Yeah. And our lad had been training for nine months. Yeah. But if you had you'd seen him as Sparta, you would never put that match on. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you, well, to be honest, if, 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 I'd, if I'd heard he'd been yeah. boxing for, how, I'd have been like, oh, the alarm bell was ringing. No, no, yeah. shit, you know. So, <clears throat> could just clarify as well, I think you've already said that if somebody doesn't come to your training sessions, you won't let them box. They can't just say no, to you, they can't just say, I, I want, want to turn up. and not turn up. Is that different just... to other boxing organisations? Mm, yes. Like the one that I did, there were, there was one guy that didn't turn up to any training sessions and yet had sold the tickets. How can you match someone like that? So what they did was they took the best person out of the entire class and like <laughs> segregated them and said, you're going to fight this guy. On the assumption so, that he wasn't turned up because he was too good. Uh, no, on the assumption <laughs> the lad who hadn't been there had been off training somewhere else at like professional gyms or something or was like an ex very good amateur or something yeah. like that. So instead of like showing his card in the gym, it was like, I'm going to hide everything I've got and turn up and look the absolute bollocks on fight night and just knock some poor fucker out. Um, and so, yeah, they matched the best one out of the I, group against this person who never turned up. I know Gay wants to come in, just quickly, what actually happened in that fight? The lad from the group uh, knocked him out, like proper knocked him out in the so second round. Did he, did he not turn up because he was just too lazy? Or? I don't know, but when this lad, <laughs> when this lad turned up, <laughs> this lad turned up at like the weigh-in, and it was the first time anyone had seen him, it was like <laughs> a couple of weeks before the event, and then didn't turn up again after that. So like we just got this brief glimpse. This geezer turned up, he's like a mountain. He was like six foot three, six foot four, steps on the scales and like poses his muscles. And we're all there going, no wonder he ain't fucking turned up. Like that geezer's huge. <laughs> and then he turned up for the fight night. And I say, got knocked out in uh, the second round. What Just- were you going to come in with, Gary? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> about 20 minutes but, but ago. It's, it's, it's an incredibly risky thing that he could have turned up and knocked yep. well, you know, the guy doing, who'd been training don't out. Don't get me wrong. In, in boxing, there's an aspect of danger. You ain't in a pain, tiddly wings or kiss chase. You're throwing punches at yeah. each other. Now, all especially on first-time fighters, and your, your Terry will sort of back me up here, all you can go on is what you see in sparring. That's why you don't know. They could go out there and freeze. They could go out there and also have the fight of their life, kick in the gear, ba ba ba. You don't know how they're going to react under that environment. Have you ever had anyone who's held back in the gym? No, cause, because... They you know to, them well enough. Yeah. It's, it's like... They won't come to one training session put put them in. So if I know they want to fight, I'll put someone against them who I think's good, and I'll say, just go to the level he's going to find the benchmark. Yeah, and at. just go with that. And then you you learn a lot about people's personality when you get to know them. And when you're doing white collar, that's a big part of that comes into it. Whether they got firing, but whether they can take the shot, whether they're every handed, a lot of that comes into it. It's not just seventy five kilos, seventy five kilos. Never had a fight, get it on. You can have two geezers, ninety kilos. Both 35 years old. Both trained, done six months of training. One's 90 kilos, ex-Marine, played rugby, still playing rugby. The other one's 90 kilos because he sat behind his desk. He was 80 kilos 10 years ago. It ain't a fair fight. Yeah. Someone's going to get a good hiding. I know yeah. who my money would go on. <laughs> so, Terry, I'm intrigued, like, from the amateur perspective, what are the biggest criticisms of white-collar boxing from the amateur side of the sport? Um... Choose our words carefully. This is not aimed at anybody, but I think it's more. Of course the, not, Terry. No, no, no. But, no, no, but it, it's 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 this. So I, I always go back to what I was taught by by the late Mick Carney at Fitzroy Lodge, and he always said, 
you are a custodian of the sport. So there'll come a time when you're not involved in it and you've got to make sure it's in a better place than you found it. So there's certain things we like to stick to. One of them is this. Make sure the standard of the boxes being produced is high. And I think that's where, like, if you talk to a lot of the, the amateur coaches, you that's the frustration. It's, wouldn't mind this white collar thing, but get them to a certain standard okay. first. And I, now I'm not speaking about anyone specifically. I'm speaking about the general market. Now, I've been to a couple of these white collar shows and I've got mates who've done them. And they haven't been very good. Like for me, like as a representation of boxing, it's it's poor. Yeah. And I get it. I personally get annoyed when when you're sat there and someone goes, "Yeah, I've done a bit of boxing in my life." You know, <laughs> you had a couple of white collar bouts, and you look at them and just go, "Okay." That's Martin you just described. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was just celebrating a minute ago that you had two and zero. Because because because, <laughs> because Gary, you'll know this, right? There's a big difference between right. I'm gonna have a white collar bout, and then I'm gonna have another one. Two. Every week for a whole boxing season, having to write your weight down. Yeah. I'm 75 this week, 77 that week. Shit, I need to get back down to 75 because I might be called on to fight at any time. There's a big, big difference. And I don't think when, when, when people drift off and talk boxing, I think that part of it's often ignored. That's what makes these young amateurs different. That's what makes these guys different. It's they're always on weight. Like, and, and there's something that warrants respect in that. And it places them on a different level, yeah. right? Like I've said to you, if two grown men want to fight and it's safe to do so, I have no issue with that. If if I have a horse in the race, I'll pop down to watch. A man versus a horse. That doesn't sound <laughs> fair at all. <laughs> you see that video then, have you? No. no? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm so, not sure what the verse so, is. So, so, so I, guess, I guess from the amateur side, it is that. I'm not going to lie to you. I think some guys are envious that some of these white collar shows can turn over a good number. Mm. But my, my response to them is, fucking make your product better. If you want that white collar money, make your product better. Don't be mad at someone else for going out making money. I, I have no issue with that because I'm not responsible for how Gary feeds his family and I don't want to ever interfere in how someone feeds their family. Mm. What I am saying is, I'm just a guy about standards. If I'm watching something and it's boxing gloves, and I want to see something that's good. But I've said this about small hall shows as well. I'm yeah. consistent in my view that show me something that's good and I'll tell you it's good. Yeah. I mean, but what you're saying is like, an amateur, if you're a good amateur, you're a good level of boxing. Yeah. People like Carl, as you say, when he first started, he was 35. He was like, Are you ever going to get to that level at that 35? What we do, we give you that, uh, that Op- platform to go and try. Opportunity. Make him track his weight for the next 12 yeah. months. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the beauty, and again, that is the beauty of white collar yeah. boxing. I, I I don't have to worry about. That. I, I don't I, say to Cole, "You've got to be seventy-two kilos for this fight." I'll get him matched accordingly. It, so, what 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 would you say to the criticism that it encourages low standards in the in the, in the integrity I've, I've of boxing? To, I've been to some white collar shows and sat there with my eyes shut. I thought, "Good God." This, and to be fair, that, I've, I've seen it as well. And to be fair, yeah, that, that's not, mine. I've, I've actually <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's not just the quality of fights, the mismatches, and all that. I've sat there and thought, you know what? This is why I'm going to be different because this is ain't going to happen on my. Don't get me wrong. You can match, especially when they get above eighty kilos. Someone can walk out, bam, like yeah. that. But it ain't going to be through negligence that happens. Yeah, you know, it, it's your big guys, your front you someone's going to get it on the chin. 
So, does it does it happen often that, or does how often does it happen? Should be the question. No, you I've get blokes out. that are good in sparring, and then they turn up in the ring, and you you touched on it earlier. I just freeze. Yeah, but the, as I say, I that, can't match them because I've seen that. Yeah, but, it, but how yeah. often does it happen? Is, not very often, to be honest. Oh, okay. It can happen, but not. Very but that often. happened in the amateurs as well. Yeah, if you're having your first amateur fight, your first pro fight. Oh, I suppose you've had pro fight. Well, but, well, no, no, not, not so much that you freeze, but but you get that reputation of being a gym boxer. You're that guy that just looks the part yeah. every day until fight day. And fight day, it's not that he freezes, but you don't see the same... You don't see the same person sparring. Yeah. He ain't on his toes, he ain't flicking out yeah. a jab. He, he, he's he, flat-footed. He's doubting yeah. himself, he's yeah. questioning himself. You know. That's the same as people's mental strength. You can lose, you know yourself, you can lose fight before you actually get in the ring. I... I, I I'm, I, I, I've got that gross thing where I'm, I'm a notoriously shit sparks. I'm just like, oh, whatever, let's get through this. But I don't mind having a scrap. Come Saturday, yeah. whatever, don't yeah. mind that. That's, that, 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 yeah. that, that, that's the easy part. But all of that, you know, you're in there with your mates, you're like, well, I quite like him. And you don't really get up for it. Whereas yeah. I know some guys who, they're just always on. Yeah. And they can, they can do it in the gym, they can do it in the ring, and you're like, good luck um, to you. Yeah. Uh, is alcohol available for the crowd at these the events? Crowd, yeah. Right, okay. Um, does that ever present... Between rounds. Say again? Not to the boxes in between. <laughs> <now. laughs> does, that, um, does that present its problems at Not, times? I've done loads of shows, touch, touch wood. Not one bit of trouble in any shows. If you have any health and safety issue, I know we spoke earlier about what the checks are. Have you ever had to have the paramedics step in and, uh, and resolve someone's something? Someone's got a busted nose. Uh, okay. Something like that. Uh, we had a couple of... You know, had anyone like fucking iced on the canvas? Oh, we've had knockdowns and knockouts, but no no, no uh, okay. problem. I mean, knock knockouts, very few and far. And is it the same rule that. that you can't let the show carry on until the ambulance is back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, um... What glove sizes do they 16 use? 16 ounce. Or is that across the board, no matter well, how I've big... Done, I've done no others, but I'll use 16 ounce yeah. and open face head guards. Right, okay. Yeah, Google's... Is there an argument to be made? And I don't wish to make it any more... <laughs> um... You should use two ounce gloves. Well, I'm just thinking... Blue and gloves. Surely proportionally, an 80, an 80 and 90 kilo bloke wearing 16 uh, ounce gloves um, is different to someone who, say... A 50, 60 kilo bloke who's wearing 16 ounce gloves. That must be like <laughs> two blokes throwing pillows at each other. Yeah, it's in a... Nicola Adams, though, isn't it? Nicola Adams wearing the same size gloves of Akel Brook. And like her hands just look. And that's why she petitioned to get them lowered the size of them, which she successfully did. D- would it significantly, and you'd have to just educate me here, everyone wants to come in, but would it significantly enhance the dangers of the sport if you were to just take it down, I don't know, a bit? Would, would there no, be any, no, anything gained? No, because the white-collar guys will never have that that pro chin yeah. because they haven't... They're not conditioned to it. Yeah, not conditioned. Yeah. And remember what, what boxing does. The boxing pyramid kind of, it filters you out, right? We have this discussion when we compare boxing with MMA. You can be a great MMA fighter with a shit chin. Yeah. You can't be a good boxer with a shit no. chin. So when those guys are boxing in 8 and 10 ounce gloves, they're kind of pre-selected to be involved in that. Yeah. I think at the white collar level, it's more of a lottery. So I'd rather the gloves were bigger because mm-hmm. even in 16 ounces, you can put someone down. No, definitely. I mean, you know it's like yourself. Nine times out of 10 with a knockdown, 
it's because they don't see the punch coming. It's yeah. not the power of the punch. It's bang! What was that? Hit me? <laughs> yeah. Where that will see see a flash of white light. What the yeah, fuck? I've never. I, it's I've, that sort of thing. I've seen a fair few of them now, and I haven't seen anyone sparked out. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but I, I, mean, I normally see them stunned. Once they get to sort of ninety kilos, hundred kilos, it can happen just because right. they're strong guys. Yeah. And someone that hits you on the chin, you stay it for a while. Yeah. You know. Okay, Martin, give uh, Terry Rockall. Yeah, no, I was intrigued about it. if you had a lad who was like eighteen who you've been training for a year and he you know he realizes he's not good enough to ever make it as a professional and the amateur stuff's quite um demanding on his time if he came to you and said i'm gonna go and sack this off i'm gonna go and do white collar boxing what would your advice be to him if i so i've trained him for a year right uh yeah nine months yeah not quite a year well but i often have this conversation with guys because what tends to happen is you you're 16, 17, and you're in there with your mates training, and you love it, right? You yeah, because around 18 is when you start to change your priorities. And you life. get girls so you and drink, stuff, yeah. You have girls. You, so, you know, that time yeah. that you were in the gym when you were 15, 16, suddenly, like, starts to yeah. evaporate so, a little so, bit. So you, have, so you have different conversations. So there'll be some lads who say, look, you know, got a job, trying to get my scaffolding business up and running. I'll probably do three or four fights a year. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll structure something around those, fine. Then there are other lads who are like, just jumping in out as and when. And if someone said to me, I want to do a white collar bout, if I trust in their capabilities, if I'm like, actually, you know what? You've learned a lot here. That you are safe in any ring that you go into. That's that, that's my test as a coach. Is the one, because I would, look, and I said this to the lads on Thursday, I said, the worst job a coach has to do is explain to a young lad or young lady's family why their kid just got knocked out. And that they will be okay. There's nothing worse than having to go to that hospital mm. and go. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's there's nothing more harrowing than doing that. So my my test when I look at anyone is, do I think you're safe in the ring? Yes or no. So you would never put someone off, like if they were in that scenario where they said their times evaporated, they haven't got time to dedicate to doing the amateur side of it no, anymore. No, if 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 I, if I trust in your skills, I say go go and express them wherever you want because they they might then go. Well, do you know what? I'd quite like to be a coach. Whatever it is you want to do. If if you're loyal to me and I, I, you know I mean, and it's a two way thing, I'll back you whatever you do. You know? I'll I'll supervise. Like if I think, hold on. I mean, these guys are taking the piss with you. I'll intervene. But I wouldn't say don't do it. If that's what you want to do, then do and it. And what happens if you're in the middle of a training camp, so to say, for like your white collar shows and you find out somebody is training with you but is also training with, say, someone like Terry? Is that okay? Are they allowed to do that? Yeah, that's fine. As long as I see them sparring. Yeah. Because they're going to progress. I just need to keep an eye on their progression. Yeah. Just so you can get a match right. Not, no, not just for the boy... For Terry's boy for argument's sake, for, for everyone, because if you train for 12 weeks for argument's sake, 12, 14 weeks for a fight, you actually want to fight. You want to be tested. You don't want, yeah, an, yeah. Easy, you don't want an easy fight. Yeah, that's why I did sometimes the second they're one. Nice. Sometimes did. they're nice. But the first one I did, I didn't feel like I'd, you know, yeah, nobody, you nobody had whacked me on the you, chin. So I wanted to go, I really wanted to feel You want that. to feel like you've had a fight. And so I wanted, yeah. that's the reason I signed up for the second <laughs> one, was because the first one just didn't feel like I'd, Taken myself to a place that was pretty horrible. You weren't horrible. tested. You weren't tested. And then I got fucking hit really hard, and I thought, oh, I'll be tired." I should have stopped. And I would say as well on that that um, you know I think a lot of the guys that we have going down to City Warriors, they really want to box. You know, they don't want to just throw leather. They all want to learn to box. They want to go into the ring and they want to feel like they box. Now I know that that's, that's not possible. You know, from a 
we're nowhere near amateur level. We're nowhere near professional. You're not going to satisfy every it. purist. So, is... But you know, everyone out there is trying to work behind their jab. Generally, no one's going in all guns blazing. And on the question of training with other people, just want to make a quick shout out to TUA Box, Boxing Gym in Bexley Village. Um, so they are one of the few gyms that I've come across that they are quite open about training white collar fighters as well as the amateurs and things like that. And I train with them once a week. And as I say, you know, I go in, Gary watches me spar, he sees if I've improved or not, and he'll make the adjustments accordingly. Are you going to get so, an easier fight because you're helping him out with the market so, and stuff? No, I'm going to make him work. Because <laughs> I think, I, maybe I said this earlier, but I think the attitude is changing. Now. So you look at our club, we'll get the white collar guys in on a Wednesday, for example, and we structure it so a lot of the amateur guys will pop down as well and they'll help out with the pads. With the They'll, they'll help out because we have a big thing of yeah. we want to be able to well, to bridge that gap because yeah. a lot of the guys who do white collar are bankers or media guys or something and then what that means is like, I mean we used to have Ben Shepard come down and train with us so you get that link into ITV and some of these young guys then get follow on opportunities so if there's a casting director there and it's like actually you know we need some young boxers well, it's, it's not just like, well you get the young amateurs down and explain it it keeps the basics fresh in their mind yeah if you're showing someone how to do footwork time for an hour but it keeps it fresh in their exactly. mind as well. Um, yeah. One question I'd like to ask is, do you, do you ever get people with disabilities? I don't know if they're like varying, I don't know if like, like big, large phys- physical disability or even like mental disabilities asking if they can box. Well, the, the thing is, I've had a couple of people that, like my first thing, go to the doctors, get the all clear from the doctors first, bring me the letter and then it's safe. But even then, you know, the, 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 the reality of that, I suppose, is it still comes down to matchmaking. Um, so yeah. You, yeah. you can't guarantee a yeah. fight, but for training, it, was it just like, strikes me as can I, ma- I can imagine ex service personnel with I don't I I wouldn't like to speculate on what, but guys maybe they've been discharged for whatever reason and they want that physical so rush again. Going you know? back to what Cole was saying earlier about people, you get you people who want to box and you get people to get excited and just want to punch hard. Yeah, yeah. I try and match the people that want to punch hard with each other. The, the Boxing ain't great, but it's a great crowd pleaser. And if you've got somebody who's trying to box and, try, and someone trying to kill him, it sort of spoils that fight. If you've got two people who want to mm. box and you've got two people who want, let's call it, I don't know. But in this conversation, I think the one thing I'm taking away from it is, Gary, you strike me as the guy who really cares about boxing. I care about the boxers. You, but in general, I mean, yeah, even if you weren't doing this, yeah. I imagine you'd be a guy. I'll still be training. I'll still be doing my thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'd say you're probably an exception in the white collar world, if that makes sense. Thank you. Because a lot of the guys, they don't think that way. It is literally just, you know, it, even if it's an ex-boxer, it's like, well, yeah, didn't quite do it as a boxer. Need an easy way of making a couple yeah. of quid, get some lawyers in, charge him shit yeah. loads of money. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and everything else goes out the window. So I think it's been refreshing to have this conversation just from my end because it's like, well, actually, do you know what? There are some people. Yeah, there's some people who who, who are still holding the, the those old school values true of exactly. do the right the, thing by the sport. The one I did was run by a business and then they franchise out the training, which I think um, Carl's nodding, probably in agreement because I think we did it under the same group. Yep. So you have a number of people that run the business side of it and then they just appoint a number of gyms around the country to do the training. So their name may be on the event, but they've, prob- well, they've literally never seen you spar, never seen you do. So they leave that all down to the coaches and the trainers. And those coaches and trainers 
love the business or love the sport and you know they've got a real passion for it but it doesn't mean that the event itself is run by people who care for it my thing on the night is looking after the boxers if they look after the boxers people want to come back they want to come back. They make if if someone goes and sees their mate get ironed out because he can't hold his hands up and the other guys are moving around like sugar and flicking jabs and crosses and hooks. It, no one wants to see that. Well, I don't know. No, but some people I like. Some people I know that I, I'd happily watch. What I'm saying is, it's like no one wants to see someone. No, I know you on the wrong end of a good idea yeah. through ne- through neglect. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. You can walk out, bang, it can happen. You're throwing punches at the end of the day. You ain't playing tiddlywinks. It can happen, but it shouldn't be through neglect that that happens. Yeah. Um, so how how is City Warriors run as a business? How Where does it make its money, and what proportion of it is charity? Do well, you have charity involved? Well, we have different types of charities involved. Right. Uh, we, we sort of support a charity on the night. As I say, we're, this time we're doing the Paras... Uh, charity, so they're gonna they bring their stuff down, auction it off, take away what what they earn. Uh, they people pay for the classes with City Warriors. Right, it works out fifty pound a month. But if you do three or four classes a week, it's like three quid, four quid a class. It works mm-hmm. out. So, so can I just jump in? There's no contract on that as well. So you pay for the month, and then you, if you decide you don't like it, you're not tied in for twelve months or anything like that. You can just not pay and not show up. Gary come looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more sparring session. <laughs> I bruise easy. <laughs> I bruise easy. <laughs> um, okay, well, that sounds like... So you, so you make your, all your money through the training, is that right? Well, if a show goes well, you can earn a lump of money out of the show. But, but it, it, Would that be it, through ticket sales? Yeah, but right, it's... Okay. It, it, it's I think what's nice to hear, and I think Terry touched on it earlier, is it's not masqueraded as a charity no. thing. So you see some of these yeah. that will publish the figures of how much the charity yeah. has made uh, yeah, when you, I'll, you I'll, know, because you can check on company's house, how much of the business is making, yeah. but they never mention it. Like, fair play, at least you're saying, look, we make our money out of the training, yeah. make our money out of the events. At the, at the end of the day... And the charity benef- is a benefactor because of it. I will always try to do my bit for charity, but I'm not going to lie to people and say they get X amount out of a ticket because I might be struggling for ticket sales, so they're not going to get that money because I'm... I've got to yeah. pay for the venue, got to pay for the medics, got to pay for this, got But there's a, there's a simple solution to that is what you've kind of touched on there with the auction. If you if you segregate yeah. to a, to an extent, yeah. um, you say, right, this is your auction, you could do whatever you knock want yourself out, yeah. Yeah, to knock yeah, yourself you can out. do whatever. As long as you can do that, yeah. and it's probably a good way for charities to raise money anyway, because they can get donated stuff I mean, and then I've, auction that I've off. I've been uh, not been involved in white, other white collar things, but I've been to other shows where they actually take a percentage of that as well. Now, yeah, for me, yeah. that's your that's that's your platform. You go and knock yourself out. Uh, so, 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 yeah, and that, that touches on a point, and it's probably my bigger issue. Like for white collar, I can I can kind of live live without. Uh, I'm not that bothered. I think it's this idea that boxing's become this big cash cow that people are just seeking to milk. So you go to some of these gyms. And they've got they've got some gym box numpty running boxing classes, and you're like, oh, mate. Like this. yeah, yeah. And you're, like, and you're like, you're like, mate, show me some credentials. Excuse me. Give me the name of five or six people in the sport who can vouch for you. Oh wow, 
never really boxed, never been involved in that. Just did my pads course, you know. I'm like, yeah, the boxing coach. This, yeah. this <laughs> is what's killing the sport. And, and, and these guys are, I mean, they're, they're making ridiculous amounts of money. I remember once this guy said to me, "Will you train me for a white collar belt? Work for a hedge fund." I really didn't want to do it, so I said to him, mate, hundred quid an hour." I, I thought that would fuck him off, wouldn't it? And he was like, "All right." Can you do Saturdays and Sundays? <laughs> yeah, seven was, hours each, mate. Yeah, yeah, I, know, yeah I, was like, I was like, fucking hell, happy days. You know, once I, once I pay my cut, this is, this is good. But it, it's that, and I, and I come back to that same word, it's standards. Like, if, if, if I can look at something and go, actually, look, it's good coaching, it's good matchmaking, the guys are going out there, and it might not be James Tony or it might not be Roy Jones, but it's a good standard yeah. where you can look and go, yeah, they're, they're doing stuff that you would teach people to they're do. And it, right. it gives yeah. that, it opens a door to someone like Carl and someone like me, who I've hit 30 and I've decided... Well, know, I don't know if you've hit 30, you kind of ran it over. <laughs> and shot off again. <laughs> you know, I hit 30 odd and for whatever reason decided I fancied to go at it. I think similar to Carl, I'd have never have gone to an amateur boxing gym because I just... Well, look, it was never for me, I don't think. Yeah. You know, I spent years playing football bit of rugby but mainly football other stuff and it was just a way into doing it it didn't require a lifestyle change I haven't been around amateur boxing for a long time now but uh, I know back in the day when I was training down at these clubs if your face didn't fit it didn't work for you I mean you're better qualified to tell me on that now oh listen when I walked into Fitzroy Lodge I had one session to convince them I was worth allowing back in again Yeah. yeah And I get there, and there were two men. There's one guy called Billy Webster. And if people want to know what Billy's like, if you ever bump into David Hay, just ask him about Billy Webster. He's a tough old man, real hard man. Even in his 80s, it's hard as nails. So it was him and a guy called Mick Carney, who was equally tough, but had that kind of corporate veneer to it. You know, he, And so after the session, you'd, you'd go there, you'd, you'd say your goodbyes, and Mick shook his head and went, it was nice meeting you, but no. And I'm... I'm gutted at this point because I'm like, I really like this place. It's brilliant. I've had a good time. And he's like, no, no. You, look at you, man. Throwing hooks and bloody, not a single jab. Man. I was like, oh, no. And then, then Bill whispers in his ear. He's like, no, 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 no. You see that left hook he's got? He's got to come back. So then they told me, you got another chance to come back on Thursday. Thursday, I train my nuts off. I said, like, whatever I need to do to stay here, I'm going to stay. And then the rest is history. But I think the world's moved on now because you've got a younger generation of coaches yeah, now yeah. who... They're not so old school. Yeah, yeah. and they, a lot of guys have been hurt by that. So here's an example. You have criticised them, to be fair, in the past. The what? The grey, old school? The grey tracksuit. Yeah, the grey hair tracksuit. Track <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, because they hold the sport back in a lot of ways. Oh. But here's an example of someone who got told they couldn't make it at our club. Ola Afalabi. Ola Afalabi was told, nah. What ends up happening? How many fights with Marco Huck? Three fights with Marco Huck. Probably the second best British cruiserweight we've ever produced. Everyone knows who number one is. <laughs> For fuck's sake. We <laughs> you know who the best dressed is. Tony Bellew. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that concludes the podcast. Oh. <laughs> Who's also the best heavyweight we've ever produced. <laughs> yeah, that is true, actually. He's got a heart. Yeah. But, but it is that. It, it's, it's that whole thing of... You know, and that's why I said I can see a convergence now because I'm sure the white collar guys are going. We need more authenticity because we can market that, and I'm sure the and the amateur clubs are going. 
we need some of what these guys have because they're moving units and a lot of these shows are making money. We need to tap into that too. So you, you'll start to see a slow convergence. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be formal, but it'll be that sort of thing that says, we all need to line up here. You know, it might be the case that, you know, once guys get a little too old to do the amateur stuff, because look, I, I'm at that age now where I've got mates who we always to train together, but they've got kids now. They've got kids, jobs. It's hard for them to do to do anything, but they've got enough in the bank from years of training that eight, 12 weeks, yeah, they'll be ready. Yeah, it's about getting their fitness up rather than teaching them to box. Yeah, it's yeah. just getting them back in yeah. shape, getting them sharp, and they're jumping. I'm, I'm sure, you know, and then, and then you could almost trade it off as some of these old some of these old guys renewing old rivalries, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Carl, I wanted to ask you, you, you said you've, you fought once, is it right? Twice. You said or twi- twice. Twice. What's your plans in terms of, the f- of your future? And which what? titles are you looking at? Final yeah. eliminator. <laughs> uh, what? How, what do you see? You, are you fighting again in the future? Yeah. So I'll, I'll be fighting in October. You know, Kill Brooks' next opponent. <laughs> but then what? Then in what the ring happens? or out the ring? <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. Part of this is, and I will say it, it's, it's what I was saying earlier. It's the shelf life of how many times I can get and convince people that they need to come and see me. Um, and I think that, that's kind of key to it. I don't want to end up being the person that's only selling free tickets for Gary. You know, Gary makes his money this way. Um, I would like at some point maybe to get more involved in the training side of it. So actually help out, help Gary out in the gym and that, take some classes and things like that. But obviously I'm nowhere near ready for that yet. Um but yeah, for me, basically... Mate, they're I, lesser qualified people than you <laughs> doing it now. At least you put some gloves on, right? <laughs> well, you know, I'll be honest, I love boxing. Um, absolutely love the sport. And being involved in in a really peripheral way, I don't want to upset anyone here by saying I am involved in boxing. Mm-hmm. It's not, but being involved in it... Nah, just say it. Terry will fucking call you out. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> He wants to know you came up under. <laughs> I do. I, 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 don't, I don't flinch from that because every other industry is like that, right? You, you know, you, look, 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 let's be honest, Andy. I can't just in come up. I, I mean, you look, can lie a lot of no, the time. No, no, but I can't, I, I can't be a guy in my TA uniform sitting next to you and go, yeah, mate, I know all about that, mate. Because you look at me and go, but you want the TA, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, because everyone does. Yeah. Look, deep down, we all take pride in the things we value, right? So the, there's a thing that says it can't just be easy because if it's easy to claim it, then it doesn't really mean anything. And I think that's true for anything. Like, that's true for me, like, even our families, even our friends. There's a reason we have friends. We have friends because it wasn't easy getting to the point where we're at now. And so that there's value to it. But then there are other people who, you know, you got on the piss with them, but you're not really friends, but that's easy. They're acquaintances. Yeah. yeah. But, but do you, that verges on the idea of whether, surely, whether white-collar boxing devalues a sport, doesn't it? Because you don't come up under anyone. You just go through the white-collar boxing. Well, no, no, well, well, but some guys do. So, like, we have guys with us who who have done three or four bouts each. But when someone says who trained them and they go, yeah, yeah, I was in there with Mark Rygate down at Fitzroy Lodge. People go, mm, I know Mark. Mark wouldn't let you out if you were shit. All right, mate, you can come and train here. They're, they're those sorts of things. And I, I, it sounds very jobs for the boys, which is not meant to be. I think it's just meant to go, well, actually, I know that guy wouldn't let bullshit leave his gym. I, I think uh, if 
jobs for the boys is something that's always going to happen in this world. <laughs> something yeah. that's ever going to change. Yeah. You can try and fight against it, but you're swimming against the tide, really, aren't you? Um, Sam Khan asks, given the mixed rep of uh, white collar boxing, is it hurting or helping the sport in the long run? Uh, Gary? Well, I've, to be, if it's done right, I think it's helping the sport because it gets people involved in it. As long as it, it's not like <clears throat> a bare knuckle fight, it's as long as it's done right, as long as, no, what I'm saying, as long as it's done right, the matches are right, I can't see anything but helping the sport. Yourself, Carl? Well, um, I mean, I've already said really, you know, people come to see me on my first fight. They've now gone to see some small hall fights. Uh, I took a couple Save of your money. <laughs> I took a couple <laughs> of friends to see the World Series of Boxing. They would never have done that before. You know, and I believe that it's introducing people to the sport and it gives an outlet for people like me who love the sport, want to get involved in the sport to an extent. And, you know, that brings more people into it. I mean, what it does well, what Cod does well, it brings people to the sport that wouldn't come into it. I mean, I've had people come into it, never had a street fight in their life, let alone put a pair of gloves on. And it gives them that opportunity. Who hasn't done that? No, no, it brings that person to boxing. It, it, It... why does he? Why it's the, almost the opposite end of the spectrum from what you hear about why people get into boxing traditionally, which is you know I was, I was I actually, on the streets, I was drinking, I was like, getting in fights. I actually trained a vicar up. Yeah. To fight. He That's, didn't want to be there, though, but it? I forced him. Yeah. He didn't want. I was running out of the gym. <laughs> um, I think for me, what I mean, we've touched on it already, but it's it's how I find the business side of it ethically corrupt when we talk about how other places run it yeah. that's what i find and the 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 way that you said that you structure your training and how you match people up in the long run sort of shone a light on me as to another way that it can be done because i only knew the way that you'd done it marty yeah. and and when i when you sort of dig into the when i was thinking over how to sort of approach the like talking to you guys about it i was thinking yeah, when you've spoken about it, it's like, yeah, of course, that's a perfectly good, more sensible way of doing it. Because the reason I think in the first place that, the, that one of the shows you was on had two rings, because they thought, oh, there's loads of blokes here. What are we going to do? They didn't think to themselves, well, we'll put some of these blokes off and say, look, you're not, you're not we're quite ready. Shows yeah, we'll just go, yeah. let's get them on, get the tickets sold. That's the best way to do it. And it was just the dollar signs. And it was them. rather than hire this place for two shows. We'll just hire it for one show, yeah. and we'll double up the fucking. Yeah, it's all about the money, and that, and then Im- immediately, as soon as you do that, and then add some sort of charity so element into it, we'll never cross my mind. Put two rings. We'll never cross my mind. Put two which rings. Is, on which is great because we'll as soon as I turn up as a spectator, I was like, "What? I'd be and, so vexed and, if and I was coming out." This ring, I'm seeing double. <laughs> when you're fighting, it's a real pain in the ass because you've got your mates texting you, going, "Am I in the near side or the far side ring?" Yeah. And you're going. Well, I don't know. No idea, mate. They kind of changed it around a bit during the night. They're this, that, and the other. It's a real ball ache. Yeah, okay. Um, Sam Khan also goes on to ask, are regulations, safety, uh, weight classes as stringent as boxing? But we kind of touched on that. Do you have weight classes? Not uh, like light, middle, or heavy. I mean, we, we just sort of match the the guys according to their weight. We haven't got like a, a light, heavy, a heavy weight, cruiserweight division or anything like that. It's just like, if you're 80 kilos, you'll find someone around that sort of weight. But then again, it all depends on the personality of the person, the matches of the person. A lot, a lot more goes into it than the weight. Uh, I mean, we do, sorry, we sorry, do generally on. try to recommend that people actually try to get fit, lose a bit of weight. And, you know, because we don't want to literally have somebody that's 90 kilos that probably should be 
generally about 80 kilos. But the thing, if they haven't trained enough, time. if they haven't yeah. trained enough, they won't fight anyway because yeah. I won't match them. Uh, she goes on to ask about women. Um, it, as as people, regular listeners of the podcast will know, we regularly talk about women's boxing yep. on the pod. Um, the only podcast to do so. Um, <laughs> where women of vastly different weight classes are matched up because uh, they couldn't find opponents. So I think you should touch on the fact that there's not that many. I mean, we've I've seen it the, the shows that Martin was on where you've got women that aren't necessarily as well matched as men just because there is such a small yeah. pool of women that are interested in doing well, it in the I'm first in, place. I'm probably in a rare minority. I've got I've trained a load of girls because I've been before I've done like model fight nights where we've trained twenty models up. Sorry, um, talk more about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, How much so, jelly do you get in? <laughs> mud and baby oil. <laughs> Giving the sport the proper respect yeah, it deserves. Yeah, I was going to say, it's taken us about two minutes, less than a minute to descend into misogyny. Can I, can I, can I just, um, can I just at this moment apologise to Sam <laughs> for the sexist No, don't, that no, 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 don't, no, don't, no, don't. That was the response Sam, that was needed. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and a lot of the girls have carried on training with me. So, I've... what days? <laughs> no, so, Terry needs his skills to be shown up at this boxing class. Yeah, so I mean. A lot of the girls, I mean, same same thing with girls. If she turns and said, I can sell 50 tickets, but I can't get a match, she, she's not fighting. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So, moving on to non white collar boxing y things, how uh, how much into the fan side of uh, of boxing are you both? Yeah, I, I, I follow it, uh, but I sort of lost lost a little bit of interest with it. It's like when sort of back in the 70s and 80s, you had. Agler, Hearns, Durant, the best fought the best. Now it's too much. It's it's more of a business. If now it, Dillian White fights Michael Tan in front of ten people. Four people. <laughs> but no, I, I, if there's a good fight, I'll, it's, it's it's like the McGregor Mayweather fight. The best fight, I, the best. I'm, I'm, I don't want to watch it, but I do want to watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to watch it because I don't want to miss it. It's pure car crash. But, but, I mean, how can you have someone forty nine and zero fighting someone who's never? Placed on a pair of boxers in a professional ring. Yeah. Speaking of bad matchmaking. But, but. <laughs> he didn't but, down Paul and Managi, so. But just remember, this is how all big fights are going to be marketed from now on. Exactly. Well, what you're seeing now, yeah. every promoter is just literally distilling it into yeah, exactly. a formula. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get this long lead up, this bullshit type build up, and then they're going to do all the fights happening, and there'll be all of this nonsense. Well, like but, 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 touring, touring uh, road shows yeah. and stuff like that. But then Canelo Triple, uh, sorry, um, yeah, Canelo Triple oh, G, right. that came to uh, London, didn't it? Like a really underwhelming in a hotel press conference yeah. that like nobody really turned up for. But wasn't that Box Nation announcing that they had the fight? Yeah, but I think it they did like right. three places around the world. So whether they did the same thing, like a TV channel locally mm-hmm. announcing it, but uh, I love the fact that they seem to miss the fact that they, when these things come across, uh, come to pass, and they're looking at McGregor and Mayweather, thinking somebody somewhere is thinking that's it, that's the new formula. They're not taking into account the natural charisma that both those men have. They're not oh, taking into no, account exactly. the followings that they've established from the things yeah. they've done in the ring. So it's like, oh, sweet, we're going to stick triple, wooden Triple G and like uber Mexican Canelo in London and everyone's going to be like, yeah, they're going to turn up in sombreros in support for him. <laughs> like, no, it's not going to happen. Are yeah. you mental? Golovkin, you are next, my friend. <laughs> you are next. Do you remember that? was horrible. Yeah, it was. It was. It was crap. Glofkin walks in all stiff. 
Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm not saying that I want to see the uh, the Mayweather-McGregor, like Wembley Arena and all that stuff for a press card. I don't want to see that. But I also don't want to see a fucking Kazakhstani that doesn't want to be there <laughs> and a geezer from Mexico who's seemingly like forced into this room. Well, I don't want to see that either. Just... Yeah. And Billy Joe Saunders. And Billy Joe Saunders <laughs> at the back. Random abuse. Yeah, <laughs> just, ah, it's odd. It's odd. Yeah. But it's where we are with boxing. It, it, it's, it's annoying because sometimes you just have to accept Mayweather is a one-off. Yeah. What, what's worked for Mayweather worked for Mayweather. And it didn't work because it was a formula. It just worked almost by cosmic accident. And McGregor, you could, like, I don't really know him made that much, but you could make the same argument for that he's a charisma machine that people have got behind. And it seems like, as far as I know, he can actually fight a fair bit in his chosen discipline. Yeah. Um, like that's just a you know, the perfect storm that you bring yeah. the two together. Because yeah, because after this fight, that money's not going to be available. If it makes six hundred million, there's no trickle down from this Mayweather McGregor yeah. into any sport. Like they're taking everything. What frustrates me is instead of like looking to, uh, like you touched on, guy with the um, like the the best fighting the best. Instead of trying to make the sport as elite as we can make it, yeah. there seems to be this like almost like blind, stumbling-in-the-dark approach to boxing promotion. Like, one day, we're going to hit on the Premier League level of money of boxing. And it's not going to happen. I mean, it's like if you go back to Pacquiao Mayweather, that should have happened four or five years before it did happen. But it's a business now. It's not the best find, the best winner at the peak. For you, what I still find interesting is the WWE make about 800 million US dollars a year. That's probably the same as the top five promotional companies combined mm. and a shitload of change. I think they're one of the most profitable sports franchises. If you take, I mean, I know it's not the nicest term to use, but when you take into account NFL, the Premier League and stuff like that, it's, I've got a feeling it's in the top five. Well, I, and, and I think Martin had this discussion on Twitter. What the WWE does really well is it gives you characters that are predictable. The variation comes in what will they do at WrestleMania? Will they give us? Will they give the fans a swerve? But you know what you're getting. Like when the rock's music hits, you know what you're going to get for the next twenty minutes. Boxing can't do that yet, and it should be able to. What, why? Because there's this this thing about people genuinely believe that we pay to see the boxer being himself, which we don't. We pay to watch a boxer entertain us. I don't give a monkeys if you're yourself, if you're a third or fourth different personality. I don't care. Yeah, give me entertainment. Do people think that? I mean, yeah. do they, surely people just want consistency. I but think the reason Hearn has found so much success is that he's gone away from this model of it being, you know, the Frank Warren esque one where you've just got fighter A, fighter B, and you've now got months of build-up like even before the fights well, announced you've got months of build-up well, you've, and you've got all that on the ropes and all that stuff yeah now, then you've got TV, IFL TV which yeah. you know I appreciate they're not uh, directly in bed with like matchroom but there's a, a very friendly relationship there um, you know they're trying not to get sued yeah, <laughs> no, you know they they scratch each other's back to an extent. It yeah. helps match room out. That I think mean, they, they openly admit anyway, don't they? Yeah, yeah they, you know they scratch each other's backs, and that's fine. But it's then trying to blur the reality and the storyline, which I think is where they're going with it. Is that the reason WWE is so successful is because you have characters the same as EastEnders or Coronation Street or whatever. It's a soap opera. 
I think that's where Hearn is trying to take boxing is that you build these you know look back at Chisora uh, White and they were filmed clashing in a hotel six months before their fight was announced and so that gives you something when that fight's announced you go oh remember that IFL TV footage where they clashed in a hotel and it happened that Coogan Cassius had a camera on him and it was filming at the time so like, oh that's, that's a fucking coincidence that isn't it yeah <laughs> now I look back um, so yeah like you plant those seeds and you build those storylines and you try and have a payoff at the end of it I think the problem is the payoffs are never quite um, you know WWE can build a card of their own inter-house um, yeah. talent and they can pick you know nobody's got a record to protect or whatever does it really count if I see some of the crap that Match Room put on. Um, does it build my anticipation for... Do I really want to see Dillian White versus Joshua Moore because of Dillian White fighting in front of 10 people against Michael Tan last night? No. But also... It's not managed correctly. But also what the WWE do really well is they position themselves as... Basically, they're a merchandise-selling company that does a bit of wrestling. Those, I doubt those wrestling shows make a shitload of money. But how many Stone Cold... Oh, it's a spin-off. Yeah, how many Austin 316 t-shirts do you reckon they yeah, sell? that's true. Hundreds of thousands. But you're, nev- you're never going to have that consistency of brand unless TMT. everything comes under one roof or something, no, are TMT. you? TMT. Mayweather's making a shitload of money off that whole TMT, the whole money team thing. I the bet whole Joshua will be making a fair bit off of his caps and t-shirts yeah. and whatever. You know, David Hay made a pretty penny off some of the Haymaker mm-hmm. merchandise as well. But you've got to build your own brand in that sense. Though, yes. You? I mean, I mean the problem is a lot yourself. of boxers don't seem to maybe have that business acumen. That, then, th- then they should be talking to, to guys like, you know, Portobello PR, plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. JFB Sports, plug. I want to get into some questions. Right. Um, Quiet Talking asks, um, a question for the podcast, can Crawford unite the 147 division? That's a hard. I mean, let's get him up to one four seven before discussing because, unifying but, it. I mean, given the skills that he's got, who's at one four seven? Thurman, Thurman Spence Junior. Yeah, Spence. I, I think Garcia's still. You can rule out. Yeah. So uh, when I look at Crawford, I say, how much of that will carry? Because he was always a big one three five, and at one forty, he looks like he's in his sweet spot. When you're when you're at one four seven, you've got guys like Errol Spence coming down from probably 165 walking around, and he he will be able to take your shots. What will you do then? Now, can can Crawford go to war for 12 rounds at one four seven? It would be my question. But he looks he looks the part that you look at him and you go, he solves every problem inside of the first four rounds. Whatever problem it is you have for him, he'll go okay, figured it out. Now I'm going to hurt you. You know, I always remember what he did against Gamboa, where, you know, and if you look at his victims, none of his victims have ever been the same after they fought Crawford. But let's get him up to 147 before we talk about yeah, I can, you know, unifying I can, it. I can, you know, just to respond to the the weekly where next for Crawford question. <laughs> I, can, I can see them looking for a Kell Brook fight. Yes, that makes sense. Make a lot of I, sense. I, I genuinely think they'll go, right, let's go. If we can beat Kell Brook... We are legitimate in calling out. Kel and Spence. I can imagine Hearn wouldn't put up massive objection to but, sending Kelbrook over to America, taking the money from it, 
and repaying some of the you know possible search engine manipulation some of the money that he might owe over time anyway before we go down that (laughs) canary route again um john bailey asks what is going on with frampton if he splits from baron mcguigan will he split with shane mcguigan and go to the u.s if so with whom i i have a theory well it's not even a theory it's a who would this really benefit if Frampton left, Cyclone will wound up? And you just have three letters in your head at this point, don't you? MTK. Because what MTK would love to have is you have Matthew Macklin. Imagine Matthew Macklin and Barry McGuigan fronting up a promotional company. And you have a TV deal with Channel 5 already. MTK would kill for that. And I can imagine there'll be there'll be some overtures from MTK towards the Framptons because that's your, that's a marquee name in your stable. Mm. And if he went the MTK route, uh, I'd like to feel he's on a better deal because from what I've heard, the deal he's got with the McGuigans isn't great. Um, what I've also heard about Cyclone is they needed that Frampton fight because if everyone understands it's all about cash, it's all about you know your cash flow, your working capital and stuff like that because... You're constantly investing in camps, in doing this and doing that. And what pays it off is what happens when you organise your fights. Your events pay that off. And I think it was going to leave them too long between events to keep going as a viable concern. And so that's why people are saying Cyclone are in trouble now. I mean, I don't know. Like Honestly, I don't know. But is it possible that Frampton, because wasn't he part of Cyclone promotions at quite a high level? Is it possible that a lot of his profits were potentially coming from that promotion rather than the fights itself. And obviously they're not doing so well. So I wonder if Frampton's not really pulling away from Barry McGuigan per se as the cyclone promotion business itself, because it's not doing so well. But it would be awkward though, wouldn't it? If you walked into the gym and you just sacked them off, and you're like, all right, let's train guys. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an absolute nightmare. But unless, well, all I'm saying is, unless they all know, unless they all know the business is going bust. I mean, I don't, Obviously, I don't know the ins and outs. Look, I don't think anyone does, but I think we do know that boxing promotion is a precarious business, and especially when you gamble like they did with the Josh Taylor Ara Davis fight, which would have cost them a pretty penny to put on, and I don't think they would have recouped that money either. So you then look at that and go, because actually, who did we do this? Because we're having this conversation before, where we're trying to look at how many how many fighters actually make good money. Because you look at Ricky Burns. Ricky Burns fights, what, is it the Brayhead Arena in Scotland? Yeah. Which holds, what, 8,000? Yep. What's the average ticket price there? 35, 40. Yeah, so it will say 60 quid. So so that thing probably doesn't even pull in 600,000 pounds as a total take. It's not on pay-per-view. So Ricky Burns isn't earning half a million quid per fight. Mm. We know that for sure. If he's making 100 grand per fight, he's doing well. So a lot of these guys aren't making money and it's precarious. And I can imagine Cyclone are those guys who probably need two or three fights to go their way. And part of that was Frampton still being champion. I think they probably did their forecasting based on that. He's not champion, so it doesn't sell what he could have sold. It's problematic. Danny Watley asks, do you think Sergio Mora and any of the other contenders, Isha, Kadur, Gomez, well, their full name, could have done better? better. Um, well... Yeah. Um, I think it's Dave Ish, <laughs> Steve Kadur, and Mike Gomez, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, Terry? <laughs> well, start point is, 
if they could do better, they should have done better. Um, I think that's a simple thing. When boxing's your living, if you don't show up, you don't show up. So, I mean, they probably got to where they deserve. Um, Mora, I think we know from just basically getting punched from pillar to post by Danny Jacobs, which lets you know the level he's at. So was he better at 154, 160? Not sure, but probably ended up where he deserves to end up, if we're being honest. Sugar, Ishe Sugar Shea Smith, another one where, you know, it's that Mayweather affiliation, isn't it? Where, you know, hipster boxing fans and their fucking love of these names. If he could have done more, he would have done. And he's not even as good as Cornelius Bundridge, is he? So... No, I, I don't think any of those names, I don't think any of those names had the potential to be better than they actually ended up being. Terry, you are such a casual. <laughs> yeah, you're so casual, Terry. You didn't even know about Dave Ish or Steve Kadur. Could Steve do it? <laughs> I, have to, I have to look at my Tinder history. See if I can figure it out. Wait, we haven't got all day. Um, <laughs> it's a dark place. Okay, Ronnie Moran asks... What, or who, sorry, are your top three promotionally mismanaged fighters of the last 10 years? Can I go with uh, three that have got a very distinctive link that... <laughs> that won't get you serious. Yeah, go Paul, for it, Paul mate. Smith, Steve, Stephen Smith, uh, Ricky Callum Burns. Smith. Right. That's all he asked, to be fair. He didn't ask for any yeah, reason. Yeah, no, they, all, they all had a similar promoter before <laughs> the one they're with now. Um, and, you know... King Giroux came in actually as a reply and said, great question, I hope Isaac Chamberlain is in there. <laughs> no, those three were, you know, if you're talking about, you know, did they take the right route in life and uh, probably not before they ended up where <laughs> they are now. Uh, let's, just, let's, just Google it. Let's, yeah, let, let, let's throw Callum Smith in there as well. For, as, as Big Vern would say, or as Russ would say. Can you I mean, top that? Oh. Five and a half years of pro, whatever it is, and he hasn't had one meaningful fight apart from Rebrasse. I know. That's, that's poor. And remember what they were saying after his fourth fight, where they were like, this guy could fight for a world title tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, who else has been chronically mismanaged? Kel Brook. Kel Brook's a great show. Yes. And it all goes back to that day he beat Sean Porter and Eddie Hearn just didn't say we want Mayweather next. And... Uh and from what was being said in America, Mayweather would have taken that fight because they were all saying Mayweather was ducking Porter. So if you fight the guy that beat him, that would have been a reasonable fight and you would have had to fight Maidana, right? Yeah. So, but but how much of it is down to the promoters and how much is down to the trainers? Because I think it's the side of boxing people don't see. Like, Frank Warren can go up to Tunde Jai with a list of five opponents. Tunde will say, no, 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 yes because Tunde is looking after his fighters' interests. Frank will want, you know, obviously the most return per fight from his fighters. The trainer's like, I need to minimise the risk. So sometimes it's the trainers who are the barrier to this, as opposed to being the promoters. But also throw Tyson Fury into that mix as well. Um, For reasons? Oh, I mean, seriously, the guy had all the talent in the world and had he been managed better, then I would say that his career would have... uh, you know, remained sustained and... Well, he would have shot himself in the foot so many times. Mm. If somebody filtered what he said. Which would bring in the promotion <laughs> side of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Danny Watley again asks, uh, this week your thoughts, uh, question this week for your thoughts on Tommy Morrison's career. Did he reach his full potential? Oh, man. 
This you, is obviously you, uh, he was good in Rocky Five. <laughs> that was probably his, the high point of his career, right? <laughs> Tommy the Machine Gun. No, look, you know, well before the Klitsch goes, when boxing was like, will a white guy ever be world champion? And Tommy Morrison was just knocking people out with that vicious left hook of his. Yeah, people hyped him up, but whenever he stepped up, he got exposed. He got found. I think he was found doing steroids as well. Then it yeah. turned out he was HIV positive. So I don't know how he could have fulfilled his potential if you're HIV positive. He never lived the right way either, which is how I think how he ended up catching HIV was he wasn't really dedicated to the sport. Yeah, but I mean, to, just to clear that up, was it how do we know how he contracted HIV? Like I'm assuming that drug use is that what it was? I, I, I'm, I'm, that's that's where I'm. It. it was either drug use or, or sexual contamination. It wasn't from a blood transfusion, I don't think. Right, okay. um, or, or they might have just told us that in the media, yeah, it was a blood transfusion. Let's not offend anyone. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, just any other any other business, gents, wrapping up? Um, September 16th, Copper Box Arena. Billy Joe Saunders against the shockingly under-respected, under-promoted and under-appreciated Willie Monroe Jr. Um... I think it's really bad that Willie Monroe Jr. is fighting for a world title and still having to ask for sponsorship so he can bring his team over as well. So you've got to wonder how much Frank Warren's really paying the fighter, which is disappointing. So I think with that in mind, we should all be banging the drum for Willie Monroe Jr. as a legitimate underdog in all of this. Um, but more importantly, the main event on September 16th is the debut of Umar Sadiq. And... I mean, people get to finally see what we've been talking about for the last few months. So good luck to him. He was looking sharp in training on Thursday. Excited to see where he goes. He, he's like Joshua Bartzi in the sense that it's not a stereotypical journey into boxing. So he's quite, I mean, he's well put together, well thought through. Um, he's a smart guy. You know, I think the, the word urbane comes to mind, which is, you know, a nice way to describe it. So uh, let's see what happens with him. Um, so shout out to him. Uh, Brian O'Shaughnessy, everyone knows him from training Lawrence Coley. So I think at Coolbox there, they're building a really good stable of young, hungry fighters. So that's good. What else has been happening in boxing? Probably need to touch on Aiba. So Aiba is basically imploding. So anyone who's know, Aiba is the global governing body for amateur boxing. Stands for? I want to say the Association of International Boxing Associations. Do. That's a guess. Ooh, for the amateur, 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 yeah. Boxing Association? I'm yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Something. I, I I know what else it stands for. Horrible corruption, like by most accounts. So 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 so, so it's, it's it's a great juxtaposition having the the the, the white collar guys here as well because they can look and go, God, amateur, the amateur scene's in a mess because it genuinely is. To summarize the story, Aiba owe tens of millions in outstanding loans, which are all being called in now. They don't have the money to pay for them. Michael Conlon never paid his fine, did he? After he swore him. <laughs> he didn't have to. He just stopped. Yeah, he <laughs> terminated his registration. So basically, they owe all of this money, and now they're starting to investigate. And it turns out that it's been pretty lawless there. So, so the the head guy's right hand man basically took a load of money to set up the WSB. The WSB is not turning over a profit, nor is Aiba professional boxing. And so there was a vote of no confidence in the leadership. And there's a, a group, they call themselves the Interim Management Committee, who are trying to take over Aiba to fix the mess. And they've said, if they can't take over, they'll break away and form their own union. And in that group, I think, are Cuba, 
the United States, Australia, Russia, France, and a few other countries. So pretty big countries. So if we get another split, it just makes amateur boxing look like a joke at the moment, really. So that should all be resolved in the next couple of months or so. Um, is anything major well, happening? Well, yes and no. We need to touch on Mayweather McGregor. Before we do, can I give a quick shout out to uh, Andrew Fairley down in Portsmouth, who is unveiling today on Sunday, so it would have been done by now at the, at the Guildhall uh, Memorial that he'd got funded for, I think it was a GoFundMe page or Just Giving, something like that, um, that's got a, a nice little plaque down in Portsmouth to the boxers of the city, town, I don't know what it is. Commemorating? Uh, commemorating just their careers. So, like, mm. people from, you know, a couple of decades, few decades back, um, just a few of the names that uh, had been there. And he sent me a few photos as they're going along with it. And it's just, if you're ever down in Portsmouth, go and check it out. It's a really nice little uh, commemorative stone with some of the photos and names and um, just something to go and have a look at if you're down there and you're a boxing fan. Um, so, can I make an assumption here? Are we all in agreement that Mayweather is going to win? Yeah, I think so. Just to skip to the skip, cut to the chase is what I'm thinking. Or, or have we got any? The only outcome I can see where it doesn't happen because the odds are so short. It's now like it's cut to some like one to three Mayweather. So to put it in context, in Dongo last night, who's a fucking world champion, was one to ten. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, no, not one to ten. Ten to one. To win. And McGregor's like four to one oh, right, to win. Okay, yeah, right, right. Like, the odds are just incredible, which makes you think somebody somewhere might know something that's going to go on, like a clash of heads early on, and the fight gets called a draw, everybody leaves with their unbeaten boxing records, a rematch gets scheduled for, you know, oh, six months down. Think, just, the, the Vegas yeah. odds are closing in so much on both sides that it's almost as if somebody somewhere knows something, knows something that... The Vegas bookies very rarely like lose that much money, and the amount of money that must be getting placed upon this, it just it stinks of something being amiss somewhere. Carl, what are you going to say? Well, I was going to say I think I was said this to Gary earlier. I think my my fear for this is if you were to put McGregor in against a up and coming hungry fighter, then this fight doesn't probably go further than. A round or two. I've got a horrible feeling that Mayweather's just going to drag this out. And I, and I think if it goes that far, it will be because he's dragging it out. There is no reason that I can see... I mean, the training that I've seen of McGregor, the fights I've seen of him, MMA, his chin's up in the air all the time. And a person like Mayweather should be able to expose that very early. And my only fear is it is Mayweather and I don't trust him yeah. to do what's needed. But he'll do what's best for him. Like, And I, I say this to people all the time. He kept Manny Pacquiao up in that fight. Like, and you, you were watching the fight. And when I was watching it, the first thing I said is, he's keeping him up for a rematch. He's hoping that this is close enough that you can have a rematch. Because there are two points. It's the eighth round and the 11th round where he's hit Manny with a straight right. And normally he'd follow that up with another straight right. And he took a step back. As soon as he hit him and Manny's legs went, he just took a step back, walked around and went, let's go again. How good have you got to be to be like that? You know what I mean? It's like letting it limp limp across, going, let him limp across the line so I can milk him for another hundred million. The odds are so crazy, though. It's like one to three for Mayweather. That you would, on that, you would put your mortgage on it. That like, the Mayweather, there's no reason he shouldn't win this fight. And if you said for every three pound you put on, you get a pound back. If you said, okay, I'll get my 100 grand out of the house, I'll get 33 grand profit. 
immediately from doing that. That, in essence, seems like just printing money at the end of it. Well, we, we said that, didn't we, about Hey Bellew. Hey, is f- betting on Hey is free money. And yeah. then his leg falls off and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but I mean, no, 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 except for me, apparently. Because a friend of mine went and put 50 quid on Bellew. <laughs> because, because I'd spoken to him privately and, I'd, and he'd asked me a question. I can't say too much in here, but he'd asked me a question and I answered it. And he went to the bookies based on that. And (laughs) who do you think is going to win? Terry went, hey. And he went, I'll put 50 quid on (laughs) Bellew. What are the bookies with 600 quid? (laughs) But but, but look, I think think we can all agree that there's something more to this than just a boxing fight. Yeah, it just, it doesn't. It does, it does stink. There's something where I'm like. I said this age ago, I'd be surprised if it even takes place. But, really? Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. But I think there's just a few other than that. It's got too far down the line. It will happen, but as you guys say, it, it's there's, something not right. May, if Mayweather does win, knocks him out in three rounds, you'd be like, damn it, that's exactly what should have happened. Yeah, but I didn't yeah. trust anyone enough yeah. to believe it would. <laughs> yeah. I've almost been disappointed that's with what the integrity done, of right? it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um... Okay, do you two gents, uh, Martin and Terry, have anything further to add? No, I... just thanks to the army, guys. Hopefully, we've now become the boxing podcast of choice for our armed forces, both domestic and abroad. Um, so shout we'll out to... get them on. Definitely, them on. yeah. So shout out to some of the army boxers, just off the top of my head. Chez, Elena, Natty. Um, there's a few others. Chez, that, the that's one that Yeah, he is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I look. I don't know how I'll put it out there now. If he listens, he listens, right? Chez is the smallest super heavyweight I've ever seen, and every time you're matched with him, you're like, "This is an easy win." You are. You you look at him and go, "He's too small. He's not going to do anything." But he's fit and he's consistent, and he has this raiding style that confuses everyone. So he'll just shoot in a couple of cheeky, quick hooks, touch you on the head, move out again, circle around you. And a lot of heavyweights are big and relatively immobile, except for John Pilata, the most athletic heavyweight there is. But Chez is so it, it, it's crafty. He's honed the style that enables Pilata. him to win. Yeah, I know it's fucking how annoying. Dare, how dare he hone a style to win? Yeah, but but you got to applaud it because <laughs> a guy who's he's about 95, 96 kilos, and he's beating guys who've got 20, 25 kilos on him. So congratulations to him. I'm uh, married to Elena. Um, Another one. She, I think, she boxes at sixty four, maybe sixty nine. Yeah, devastating puncher, man. She, she entertaining to watch as well. So, the army boxing team doing great things. If you haven't considered them as an option for a career as well as boxing, you should do. Um, Gary, Carl, uh, tell us how to find City Warriors. How to get in touch if somebody's interested in the area. Sort of, uh, what's your what's your catchment area? I suppose. Well, East London, really, sort of anywhere between Fenchurch Street, Allgate East, Liverpool Street. That's where we're based around now. How can uh, I get in touch? How can you get in touch? Uh, we've got www.citywarriors.com. Yeah. Uh, so, no, say, say that again. <laughs> so, so, we've got www.citywarriors.com. Right. Um, we've also got a Facebook page. We're on Twitter. Um, also, come down. Are you on first Instagram? Lessons free. We're not on Instagram at the moment. It's shit. Don't use Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Are you on Twitter? Yes. Right. They might have said that. I don't know what phasing out. Um, thank you very, very much for can your I time. Just, sorry, can I just add a quick shout out as well? Of course you can. Yeah. Sorry. So on, following on from uh, what Terry just said. So on Thursday, the 21st of September, at Prince Regent Hotel in Chigwell, 
uh, one of the guys that trains me down at TUA uh, Boxing Gym in Bexley, Shaquille Day. He's having Shaq Day. Shaq yeah. Day. No, Shaq. He's um, having a professional fight. It's his first six rounder. Um, Boy yeah. Jones Jr. is going to be on the card as well. So, uh, guys, if shout you out to it. shout out to Mickey, his, his trainer. Shaq Day has Mickey the best shorts in boxing. Yeah. Black and uh, bright yellow, bright green, typically. What night is that at the Prince Regent? It's, it's Thursday. Thursday. Oh, because they have a really good over 30s night on a Friday if you can get up there. <laughs> the random things you find out in amateur boxing. So, because normally you have a lot of shows there. Remember that? Remember the show where I met AJ? Yeah. That it was at the Prince Regent. So everyone, after the show, it's like, well, we've kind of missed any means of getting home. We're going to have to Uber it anyway. And like, basically, basically just a collection of tattooed meatheads in Bentleys, right? So you know what kind of money this is. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, we just we just go upstairs for the over 30s night. It's like, why not? And it is literally like every British East End gangster stereotype in there. <laughs> yeah, mate. Can I get eight bottles of Laurent Perrier, please? You got any Cristal as well? And let me get some of that Grey Goose as well. And it's just mental in there. But no, no, Prince Regent's always a good laugh. So... If you can get down there, get down there, you know, support Boy Jones, the tallest man to make 130 pounds. How he makes super featherweight is insane. He's, he's fun to watch, isn't he? He yeah. is. And, and, and why is Lomachenko ducking him? <laughs> <laughs> he's never in boring fights, Boy Jones. No. Um, certainly hope you enjoyed coming on the podcast. Okay. Um, thank you so, so much for coming down. It's not an easy slog. I mean, you said the traffic went too bad coming up, didn't you? So hopefully it'll be the same going back. Um, oh, because I don't have to slog, do I? We take you for granted, Terry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, thank you very much indeed. No, no, no. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's been, it's been song, a good you know? conversation, actually. And it's good that we've been able to shed some positive light yeah, on a, the good guys in white collar. Yeah, we hope that we sort of opened your eyes to how it can be done as well as other yeah. federations, you know? Yeah. And you, you did a good job of going, we're better than the fucking lot of them. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess this opens the door if anyone wants to come on the pod and they've got actually something of and this is the this is the level they've got to live up to um, but yeah I guess it, it opens the door to future tell Eddie Hearn we've got a sofa for him if he's ready <laughs> <laughs> that is it that's literally where we go from here Eddie I've emailed him twice have you really he's never come back to me he'll be a wise decision Eddie if I'm, I, I'm confident we will get him on in some description in the next 12 months mm. I just okay. keep emailing them every day until they block me like they did on Twitter. <laughs> that might be why he's not responding to your emails. Does anyone else have any other business to no, add? No, mate, I'm done. Yeah, you were done about half an hour ago, to be fair, weren't you? I've only got a one-hour lifespan yeah. to, uh, to concentrate. You know that. Well, I hope you enjoyed this bumper edition um, of New Age Boxing Podcast. Get in touch at New Age Podfather. Are we have a week off next week. Would oh, it, yeah, oh, yeah. We are. Well, that's why we actually. That's what I meant to say. Actually, we're, that's why we paid lip service to Mayweather Mega because we are running away next week. Um, yes, much to the delight of most hardcore boxing fans. We're like, yeah, they don't care about it too. Yeah, well, no, no. We're, I'm we're going gonna, to watch it's a, it. Though. It's a principal point. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I wouldn't want a week off. Yeah. I wouldn't be a true. Cash we're we're, if I didn't we're, watch we're it. not sheep. We're not rats. We're not going to just follow anything. Right? I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a rat casual. <laughs> a sheep and a, a, a wool covered casual rat <laughs> following the herd. Um. Yes, but we're going to take a and hiatus. In Vegas, that's why we can't. <laughs> I've sold my house to go. He's, do, he's doing the ring walk with Floyd. <laughs> he's in a Bieber mask. 
Um, I've put all my money on McGregor because he floored Malad Nagy and he's, you know, he's, he's got a, such a wide stance and he's got a puncher's chance, to be fair. So. Got a puncher's chance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to take a brief oh, Just a quick one. Week. Oh. How impressive was David Hay doing the McGregor challenge? Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, just where you have to stand and like wave your arms about by the side, oh, like McGregor did. And so, if he does that against Bellew in the rematch, it's <laughs> over in the first various round. Various irrelevant boxers try to do the same thing to keep their name relevant. <laughs> you know what it looks like? It looks like they. <laughs> when I saw that, because I saw it was like Mayweather and McGregor, and then it showed you Mayweather smashing shit out of a bag and then it showed Jim McGregor doing that I thought really feel like you with that in combination with your wide stance you might be concentrating on the wrong things <laughs> but, but I'll tell you who I do give credit give credit to Sam Khan she was at the Mayweather media day yes she, it, it she looked was- like that one of those um Sorry, that McGregor thing looked like one of those wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men off of family yeah, yeah. <laughs> right we will call a halt to proceedings there thank Done. you Ring very very Perfect. much for, to Gary and Carl again for their time and uh, um, studious opinions and uh, details on, on uh, City Warriors. So thank you very much. We'll be and back in two weeks. You too. Perfect. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Cheers.